0: Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast fueled by Guinness powered by celery the show that can't believe that Chelsea finished 3rd in the Premier League now in true Chelsea style on a day when the goals were going in left right and center in the Premier League we conspired to eke out a drab 0-0 draw against Leicester but thanks to Spurs drawing against Everton it was enough to ensure Chelsea finished 3rd In the league. Amazing. And on face value, a decent league finish. Well done, Maurizio Sarri and the players. However, it should not obscure the fact that Spurs, Arsenal and United have been woeful in the run-in, effectively gifting an equally poor Chelsea side third place, and that the gap between us and Liverpool, who hilariously finished second on 97 points, is a massive 25 points. Now, if anything... Uh, this season will be remembered as one where Chelsea went full-blown schizophrenic. Defined by Sari in versus Sari out, the division among the supporters has been a consistent theme. It's difficult to establish the truth when everything about Chelsea has been played out in such black-and-white terms this <laughs> season. Has Sari improved the side or not? Have the players played Sari ball or not? Has the season been successful or not? Is it down to not having a decent striker or not? Is Hazard staying or leaving? Will we have a transfer ban or not? And on and on it goes. Are we all going mad? All I know is that we're experiencing a phenomenon known as Chelsea Phrenia. Right, the Chelsea Fancast number 463, Chelsea Phrenia. Right, now, uh, um, I'm actually looking forward to doing this. I've, I've been absolutely. Uh, mental for the, uh, funnily enough mentioning Chelsea Freenia but uh, my life has been ridiculously busy for the last uh, few days Uh, and uh, I worked all day Sunday so I'm kind of couldn't see the match but uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm knackered but I'm really looking forward to the show tonight Uh, very, very possibly anyway, we shall see Uh, anyway, have we got on the show tonight? Well, guess what? We've got Jonathan Kidd on the show, who knew? Wibble, wibble, wibble wobble yeah that's very black Adam, mate. Eh? i like that
2: thank you
0: yeah very good are you are uh, how are you you okay lovely thank you thank you suffering
2: from the same phrenia that you very cleverly called the show very thank good all, thank you thank
0: you yes I, I i it came to me in an inspiration uh well it, it didn't take a lot of inspiration at all really because i think it's pretty accurate in its description of chelsea but uh, we have a very very fine gentleman to uh, to uh, well just to decide whether that is in fact the case or not tonight and uh, i'm i mean it's really really odd how this works out people uh because the number of times we get liam on the show which as as he will you know as he will say i I organize weeks in advance uh and and yet something happens at the weekend where he has been there to witness it all and all will be revealed later but first of all liam brilliant as ever to have you on the show mate are you well
1: I'm good, I'm good. I put it down to my to my impeccable sense of timing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it is spooky, though, mate, isn't it? Because it happens all the time, doesn't it?
1: It is, it is funny. But, I mean, I, I think to a certain extent something's always happening at Chelsea. So. This is <laughs> you know, true. There's, there's very rarely a dull moment.
0: This is very, very true. Anyway, enough, enough, enough. Oh, yes, I should tell you that we, uh, you know, we're supposed to have uh, the lovely, 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 lovely Mark Worrell. Um, but, sadly, Mark... Uh, you know, texted me about half an hour ago, a bit more, saying that uh, he was stuck in West Croydon because of a points failure on the line. So I don't think he's going to get back in time to join us, which will be a great sadness. But don't worry, we'll we'll try and get him on soon because, of course, we missed him last time because he had to have his kidney stones <laughs> taken out. So poor old Marco, not had much luck. It's a real shame because we do love him. But never mind. On with the show. Uh, right, which tonight uh, we're going to ask... Was Chelsea's dull draw against Leicester a foretaste of what life will be like without hazard? And with our diminutive Belgian looking very likely to be on his way to Real Madrid, we ask just how big has his contribution to Chelsea been this season and for the last seven years. uh, We also wonder what competition Chelsea won to end up with Gonzalo Higuain as the prize, as the big Argentinian missed a sitter against the Foxes. And can we get a refund? In part two, while Chelsea have hilariously shithoused their way to third in the Premier League to be the top team in London, oh, how I laughed, we ask how much credit does Sarri deserve? Or was it more down to the failings of Arsenal, Spurs and United? Has there really been any improvement on last season? We look back at the good, the bad and the ugly from this season and we ask will the club stick with Sarri or twist? In part three we look back to a bum-squeakingly tense night at the bridge last Thursday, where Chelsea did everything not to reach their sixth European final, but somehow managed to knock Eintracht Frankfurt out. A final now waits against Arsenal, but why on earth is it in Baku? And in part four, we have, as ever, this week's parish notices, plus some absolutely stonking (coughs) emails to read out, which I cannot wait for. Now, don't forget, of course, you can listen to the show live every Monday of course, which is where we are now, at 7 o'clock, or there or thereabouts, uh, by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page, as so many of you are. Not a bad turnout tonight. Not a bad turn- but I've seen better, I'll be honest with you. I've seen better, but it's not bad. And we've got some great people, uh, some regulars in here. We've got the lovely Bob Ray, Sean B, Chris M23, E O. Sinny, uh, apologies if that's not pronounced right. Andrew Self, Matthew D, Sills Beard, John Paul Guevara, Benny the Blue, Vin the Blue, Vinod's in here, I know, because I saw him early. Breedzy's in, I haven't seen Breedzy for a while. Dean Mears, the legend that is Dean Mears. Dean, I owe you a reply, reply to your de- uh, direct message. Apologies, been busy. Uh, Adam Finnegan, Crew B56. Oh, there's the Johnny T, bloody hell, Johnny T. I haven't seen Johnny for ages. Good uh, to see you in here, mate. English Dan. Aussie, sign my broken leg. Oh, loads and loads of people. Anyway, good to see you all as ever. I hope we can do uh, you your loyalty tonight justice. So there you go. Right, um, of course, you know, don't forget, you can always tweet us at Chelsea Fancast, either during the show or uh, you know, whenever you like, really. Talk about anything you like. We will answer you. Now, uh, we'll be back in a second to talk about the Leicester Chelsea game. Ho, um, I mean, good God! I mean, as, as, as the boys will know, because they've, they've got my, uh, you know, kind of War and Peace-like, uh, you know, script. But there was very little to talk about in terms of the football, really. Uh, not helped by the fact that all I've seen is a very shit. Half an hour highlights package from Sky. I'm not like Jonathan, I can't stay up all hours and watch the complete rerun on Chelsea TV because I haven't watched this morning. Did, did you? I, well, I don't have time, yeah. mate. I have clients and things. I no, it's true. I it's know, true I know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, there are some interesting stats uh, that uh, I dug out. Um, the, there's just been one goal scored in the last three Premier League meetings between Leicester and Chelsea. We should have known. We should have known. Uh, this was Chelsea's fourth goalless draw in the Premier League this season, their most since 2013 14. This will reappear later in the show. Uh, and we've won just two of our last nine Premier League away games this season. Won, two, drawn, two, lost five, drawing our last two. Uh, and there we go. Uh, just a kind of weird one to throw in there, that uh, Willie Caballero, aged 37 years and 226 days, became Chelsea's second-oldest Premier League player. Only Mark Schwarzer has featured for the Blues at an older age, and he was 41 years Two hundred and seventeen days. Although I have to say that Mark Schwarzer looked considerably younger than Willie Caballero, even though he was in fact four years older. But there we go. So there wasn't really much, there's not much to report about. So I'm going to kick off really with the thing that really matters per se, uh, and I think it's pretty clear for all. Uh, both I think at the end <coughs> of the game when he uh, clapped the cl- uh, clapped the fans, and then what happened in the mix zone afterwards, which is life without hazard. And as I was saying earlier on, serendipity tonight means that Liam. Uh, Toomey is with us and of course Liam would have been there and uh, was quite involved with breaking the news last night so Liam what happened
1: well um Eden came through the the mix zone it was, it was quite a quite an open mix zone at, at Leicester um so and there were there was barely anyone in Sari's press conference because we were all in the mix zone in the hope that Eden would stop um and and he agreed to chat to us for a couple of minutes and the way these things usually go, there's, a, there's sort of a generic minute about, um, you know, nor- normal things. Usually, it's just the match, but of course, on this occasion, it was more about Chelsea's season as a whole. And then someone asked the the question about his future, and uh, and it was at this point that you know we gradually teased out of him that he he's made a decision. You know, Hazard has said for months now, his line has consistently been. I'll make up my mind at the end of the season. And on Sunday it changed to, I'll announce my decision at the end of the season. And you know, that doesn't sound like much, but I think it's a pretty big distinction. And, and he clarified that he, he'd spoken to Chelsea a couple of weeks ago um, and told them about his decision and that he's now waiting like the rest of us for them to act on his wishes. Now, I'd reported. Um, me and Julian Naran at ESPN had reported earlier this week, earlier last week. Sorry that um, that Hazard wants the Madrid move done as soon as possible, and Chelsea know this. Um, but at the same time, Madrid are not matching Chelsea's valuation, and things are at a bit of a standstill right now. And we could sense uh, when we were speaking to Hazard, you know, just the sort of su- little subtle hints of frustration. Uh, at, at the fact that the situation hasn't really moved on since he told the club um, what he wants to do this summer. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how this develops because, you know, we're all familiar with the way Marina Granovskaia operates. <laughs> Her first and only interest will be in getting the best possible deal for Chelsea. And, and she doesn't have a ton of leverage in this situation because Hazard is approaching the final year of his contract. But um, the you know the Chelsea stance at the moment is that the, the sort of numbers that Real Madrid have approached them with so far are not sufficient. They're not very close to the £100 million asking price. Uh, and as long as that remains the case, then we, we might not see much movement on this. But it's clear that it is at least beginning to bother Hazard, who is usually a very you know, laid-back, happy-go-lucky character.
2: So what would happen then, Liam, if um, if they don't agree? Would he then be forced to either go somewhere else or or to see out the rest of his contract and then it becomes a free at the end? Is that a possibility?
1: Well, I, do, I don't sense that this ends any other way than with him in a Madrid shirt. It's just a question okay. of when and right. for how much. I Hazard certainly doesn't have any other club in his mind um, and Chelsea accepted quite a while ago now that they can't stop him uh joining Madrid this summer realistically but it's just it's a negotiation game now and and you know Granat Sky has shown herself to be a pretty pretty capable and pretty fierce negotiator in the past occasionally maybe she's been more focused on on winning the deal than doing the deal which is something I think Daniel Levy at, at Spurs has been guilty of in the past as well but she's generally she's she's generally done pretty well for Chelsea so um and 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 also we're familiar with the way Real Madrid operate you know they, they they like to they like to play these games out in public they like to try and um sort of bully bully the clubs that they're that they're attempting to buy from and they've never tried this particular trick with with, with Chelsea before and equally as uh, i'm sure you've seen a couple of pieces that sam wallace has written in the last couple of months there are questions about how much money real madrid actually have to spend this summer so have not they got, a, a, big, they got a
0: big shirt sponsorship deal that will pay for it that's just
1: happened well I'd, i yeah I've, I've seen i've seen the reports about that um and it, and if those figures that have been quoted are correct then certainly yeah they they, they would have um they would have significant funds to spend this summer although it's worth probably noting that when you get a big shirt sponsored deal the deal that's often quoted in the papers yeah uh, you don't get that up front it's not not one lump sum that you can then spend in one sum no, no. it's over the life of the deal
0: absolutely but surely they can always just you know go and grab some money off the spanish government like they normally do
1: <laughs> well i mean i think uh, I, I think it's you know i suspect it's it's less a problem of Madrid not having the money to buy Hazard yeah. and and more a more a problem of how much they're prepared to pay for him or how much they want to pay for him knowing that they've got other targets this summer as well
0: here's a here's a here's a thought Liam uh, and sorry Jonathan I just wanted to pursue this point no, no, very sure. quickly but um here's a scenario for you um because Real Madrid will be in for a lot of players this summer and they will want to cherry pick the best of them so you know. I suspect they might well make a bid for Pogba. I think they might well make a bid for Jovic and so on, so on, so on. Um, and, Hazard, and Hazard, Zidane will have a very clear uh, idea in his head who he really, really wants. So let's say that, uh, you know, Marina doesn't do a deal. In other words, Real Madrid do not come anywhere near to the price that she wants for Hazard. Do you think that there's a chance that, that Real Madrid might say, well, you know what, sod it, we'll just go and buy somebody else? and then what would happen to hazard if that
1: happens i guess not i guess nothing's impossible um everything that everything that we've heard in the last in the last few months suggests that madrid have made hazard then their number one target and that, so they are not going to budge then yeah exactly that that comes from the club that also comes from zidane um who has been talking to hazard pretty regularly in the in the last few weeks uh and and you know everything apart from Basically, you know, pretty much everything apart from the the price between the clubs and the structure of the deal has is is agreed at this point. You know, there won't personal terms won't be an issue. Hazard is fully expecting to be a Madrid player at the start of next season. They're they're fully expecting to have him, yeah. and so the only thing I think that um, Chelsea may be hoping for from a leverage standpoint is that. Um, is that is that Madrid, you know, from a political point of view, I think Florentino Perez would probably like to be able to present a Galactico quite early in the summer to show that they are starting their rebuild, you know, quickly after a really disappointing season and ushering in the new era of glory under Zidane. Madrid's a very political club like that. It's all, it's all about appearances. So I think that's something maybe that Chelsea hope could persuade Madrid to move on, on, on you know, move that increase their offers um, more, more quickly. But I think Hazard probably wants to be in a position to, um, to announce this fairly shortly after the Europa League final. So it, it's interesting to see, it'll be interesting to see the way it develops, but there, there certainly hasn't been much movement since Hazard had that meeting with Chelsea a, a couple of weeks ago. Do you think it's affected
2: the way he's played? <laughs> The last couple of games, because I've found found him extremely peripheral in both the games, the in the the uh, the um, the German team, the Eintracht game and yesterday. Even though he came on late, uh, he's just standing on the wing and not really contributing much. The odd little run here and there.
1: Well, it it, it did seem it, it has seemed that he's been sort of coasting through yeah. uh, those, those two games, but uh, I'd be wary of attributing that to um to any to to the transfer speculation i mean it could be just as likely that he 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 doesn't want to get injured you know he knows that there's a Euro, yeah, there's yeah. May, maybe less so in the iron track game but he knows there's a europa league final on the horizon and the last thing he wants is to is to pick up an injury on the final day of the premier league season yes. Yes, and then he missed, miss missed a game it, that could um, define before. Yeah, it could be could be the perfect goodbye to Chelsea, and uh, I, I think it's also fair to say that he might just be tired. You know, yeah, ha- I would he, have said that. Sar- Sarri rested him in the in the first leg of the Eintracht game because he played te- ten games in a row, and he he has seemed to have lacked just a little bit of of juice in the if last we- few weeks. That maybe two weeks off before the Europa League final could help bring back.
0: Yeah, he's been blowing out of his ass. Let's be honest here, chaps. Um...
1: He did in the last bit. He, is he? Sorry, one more question.
2: Is he expected to play in the um, uh, in the American game in the Patriots game? Do we know? He'll obviously turn up there, but five minutes or something, I expect.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know for certain, but given that it's a friendly, um, Chelsea Chelsea want to show their best face because they've organised this game. It's their it, it's Roman Abramovich's cause, uh, so they I think they will most of their big names will at least feature. But as you've seen, they've also brought a few of the young lads. They've brought a slightly bigger squad. And I think they'll, you know, you get pretty much unlimited substitutions in friendlies that you organize. So I think we'll, we'll probably see lots and lots of changes from Chelsea and no one having to play. Yeah. Too much, too too many minutes, and no one exerting themselves too greatly because no one will want to pick up an injury ahead wow. of ahead of Baku.
0: It'll be like a testimonial, I'm sure. Um, I think you know we we should also. I mean, I think this is probably the right time. It, it seems very much to me, Liam, that, that that Hazard is going. I mean, we've all kind of thought so. I mean, I I have to say, I, I did wonder. And, and I've said this for a while, actually, that I wondered if, you know, getting the transfer ban imposed would change things at all. But I think from what you're saying, you know, Hazard really, really wants to go. And I, I kind of suspect that he wanted to go last summer, but they, uh, the club perhaps leaned on him a bit. And it would be very bad faith if they didn't let him go now, right?
1: He did want to go last summer. Yeah, I yeah, mean, no, he, that's he, what he I pretty, meant, he, yeah. he pretty much said as much, didn't he, yeah. after Belgium yeah. went out of the World Cup. So, yeah, I mean... He, I think the situation could have been different if, even if this transfer ban landed a year ago, you know. And I think it would have been much easier to sell Hazard on, you know, give it a year. As soon as we can sign players again, um, then we'll then we'll let you go. But a, as it is, yeah, of course, the transfer ban's still Chelsea's problem. But Hazard knows that he's only going to get this kind of leverage once. This is yeah, the perfect, totally. perfect opportunity. If you let, if you let Madrid. Pass on you two straight summers. Then, as you as you mentioned earlier, it's very likely that they will move on to the next hot young thing. It could be Neymar or Mbappe next summer, and, and Hazard has missed his opportunity. So, it's a, it's a dream for him. It's always been a dream for him, and and I think he's he's going to realise it this summer, one way or another.
0: Well, I I to be honest, mate, I, I certainly wouldn't begrudge him. I, I was talking to somebody, uh you know, yesterday. I think it was, um you know, somebody at Love Sport, but. You know, I'm surprised we've got seven years out of him, uh, which is more than I expected when we signed him, knowing how good he could be. But, I mean, his contribution this season has been just phenomenal. I forget, it's, what, 16 goals, 15 assists or something like that, for which he got the Premier League assists trophy, which uh, I, I I didn't even know it existed. I'm hoping, I am hope the Premier League also has a Dribbles trophy. That would be very appropriate. <laughs> well,
1: uh, he, Premier, League,
0: Premier League most fouled. Uh, well, he'd get that every year. I mean, he won the player oh, well, of the... Sorry, sorry, John, just let me read this out. He got the... He got the Player of the Year uh, in uh, well for the fourth time. He won it, you know, just last week. But he's won it in two thousand and fourteen, two thousand and fifteen, and two thousand and seventeen. He won the Players' Player of the Year. He basically cleaned up at the Player of the Year awards. Got the Goal of the Season, which oddly was for, against Liverpool. I thought the West Ham one was better. But his contribution this year and over the last seven years, I think, has been outstanding, hasn't it, J.K.? Oh yeah, completely brilliant, completely brilliant. Um, and and it, it always makes me think
2: the club ought to have supported him because um, he has been so much a one man show, hasn't he really, in terms of being there. I mean, other than Kante, um, uh, they, you felt that with those two purchases, you thought they were aspiring to, to greatness again, but uh, um, they have both had to, to run it themselves practically. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, I, I, I keep saying we ought to relish these things. You know, the seven years has been wonderful, but I, I don't feel I've appreciated him enough. You know, I feel slightly ashamed at not having uh, um, thought, wow, he's a wonderful player. I must just um, uh, somehow log these brilliant performances in my mind and try and rerun them because mm-hmm. I now can't I can't remember a lot of them.
0: That's why I buy the DVDs every year, mate, the end-of-season DVDs, you see, because I can't <laughs> remember anything I see, usually because I'm a bit pissed because uh, I'm a Yadar alcoholic, <laughs> you know, what can I say? Uh, anyway, uh, well, you know, adios, uh and uh, gracias adan uh, hazard and i wish him best of luck for the future and i thank him hugely for his uh, or as we like to say in love sport thank you for your contribution matey anyway uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous uh, higuain a busted flush if ever there was one i, I have to be honest chaps i, I- you know the-, the the appalling miss which everybody's going absolutely potty about i actually think that he i mean it was awful let's not beat around the bush but i think he was trying to do that kind of flick the Giroux flick which that's why it hit his standing leg but it was pants. I mean the thing is is that you know that's a really poor return for somebody who is supposed to be as good as he was. The the loan has clearly not worked out, JK. And I think that that indicates some pretty poor judgement from Sarri and even worse judgement if if it's true as, as he said that he wants to sign him. I mean he's surely not, JK. When he keeps going
2: on about this this thing of it he'll be better next season when he understands what everybody are understands what's required and what's required of him. But the, the previous person to do exactly the same thing was to hit the ball onto his foot was Fernando Torres um, against Blackburn in the FA Cup semi final at Wembley. Um, uh, how many years ago was that? Um, because I remember thinking, this is a low. If the centre forward <laughs> in front of goal with only the goalkeeper to beat plays the ball onto his other foot... He, he's attempting to show off. I I get that feeling with Higuain. A lot of his stuff is really showboating when he could actually uh, uh, actually score more easily by just hitting it. But I, I know I think I th- I feel with Higuain there's an enormous ego there, and uh, um, a, and he he's he's always looking for the offside flag to, if he cocks up because I think he's he realizes he's past it now and he's not managing and uh, um, and yet. Um, seems to want to blame everybody the fact the ball hasn't been... I mean, you'd know more about this, Chidge, but the fact that the ball hasn't been given to him to feet. He's always looking and waving his arms when you think, you've got to make a run. Yeah. You're not making a run. Now, he made a decent run for the first time when he went into the, the penalty area for the the supposed um, easy flick. But But once again, he could have just kicked the ball into the goal. He didn't have to do the fancy, you know, let's try and Let's try and do it easily. And I think he, you know, a, a, a slightly younger, better, informed, more athletic player would score all those goals goals easily. And the, and unfortunately, his body is just not up to it. He just stumbles about. You know, he re, we really are in, in. He, he's one of, he's on a, a list now of some of the worst strikers we have ever had.
0: <laughs> and that's saying something from
2: you. you, know, you that know, is saying I'm, something. But, <laughs> that's saying something. I mean, I, 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 I quote quote, Tony Hately and Derek Kevin today, going back as far as I could. Kevin could not play with Doherty because he was a really ancient centre forward. He went to Everton the following year and scored 25 goals because all he needed to do was lumber into the penalty area and head it. So there's a kind of similarity. I think if the ball was constantly pumped into the penalty area, he might get his head on a couple. But I think all the defenders are too good for him. They're all too quick. He's just, you know, I'm having another ranchage. I'm sorry. You are. It's all right. I, I love it. I love it. I can't help it. He's he is so poor. I mean, East London poor old Tony Hately. Tony Hately at least could head the ball. That's all he could do. The ball would bounce off his shins whenever he tried to control it. But but we we have a, a bizarre situation of of a, a completely inept center forward you think i mean i, I yesterday i honestly thought having no. You know i watched the game i have to say i watched the game this morning not because i had the morning off it's because i was on the robert elms show early on talking about my dad and i All was right. linked excellent because i've got a show next sunday at the museum of comedy when i'm talking about my dad with with a guy called robert ross who's a good interviewer and so i was on the robert elms show on radio london and um and they do a thing called linkedin london and i managed to get a couple of Chelsea. Um, contacts him. He said, what was your best night ever? And I said, probably Ch- uh, Chelsea-Napoli on the way to winning the Champions League game. Just you mean because- it
0: wasn't when I first got you on the
2: Chelsea fan cast? Yeah, I was about to say that, but he cut me off. I'm would you <laughs> But but uh, But, um, <laughs> but, um uh, no, and then, and then I went and did a job. And then I came back in between editing, I'm giving myself a plug here, editing my new video which is um called uh, super johnny burko it's about the speaker of the house of commons and i edited that all afternoon but in between i watched the game and we actually and i'm going to be you're going to be annoyed with me here and everybody we actually played very well in the first half yeah i again. i agree with that again good no, I but, agree with that. but 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 once again we have, If you have a git playing centre-forward, there is no possibility of anybody scoring. I mean, if somebody can have a go from midfield, but and Cheek was, was terrific again. I mean, I really got to take my hat off to him. He has gone, and also Jorginho. And also, to my horror, Zappa Costa.
1: Bloody hell. <laughs>
0: Brilliant.
2: What's going on? All these players I'd like to have said, yeah, on your bike, mate. So, uh, And bizarrely, I think he was practising for not having hazard. In the first half, I know we're talking about giving him a rest, but there's a fluency about the team that I think Sarri likes, and I, fi- I think he finds it very difficult to accommodate Hazard because he never gets back to um, to defend, and he, and he
0: and he does what he wants, which is what uh, you, exactly. And exactly. this is all, this has always been the problem. This yeah. goes. This problem goes all the way back, even to old fatty Benitez. You know, yes. these you know Benitez, Mourinho, Conte, Sarri although all very different, uh, you know, certainly in terms of degree. But they, you know, for example, Benitez and Mourinho, they like players who are going to do as much defending as they do uh, attacking. Conte likes players who do as much defending as attacking, but he also likes Sarri being Italian. He likes very strict kind of patterns of play and, and players, you know, obeying instructions. You will not get any of that from Eden Hazard because he will do what he wants to do. I mean, and thing, similar, he, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. He gets yeah, yeah. away with it because, of course, he's so bloody good. You know.
2: Yes, no, but but similarly, the,
0: the
2: the similar player uh, before Hazard was Joe Cole. Yeah. Um, not quite as good Ma- though. Mourinho, <laughs> no, not as good, but Mourinho punished. Yeah. Yeah. For for not. Uh, ever coming back to defend or doing what he wanted once, and the worst example of that was when he substituted him after 20 minutes against yeah, yeah. Newcastle away in the FA Cup, when because he, he couldn't stand him because he and he publicly said he's not performing properly. And Cole was a terrific player before I think he got injured, didn't he? Then he wasn't quite the player he was again. But um, so you see the patterns emerging. Was that is that they can't deal with it? It'd be very interesting to see what happens at Real Madrid if the team is built around
0: him. Yeah, well, it, you see, you know, my argument has been as has yours that that's exactly what we should have done with him, and yes. I think, I think we've let him down, and we've been let down too. All right, let's move it on. I'm not going to do uh, the the fact that our strikers are shit because you've kind of done that. Um, the other interesting things from the game that I I saw was the fact that uh, Sarri put Aspilicueta, uh Well, actually, do you know before I go, I'm going to just ask ask uh, Liam, uh, you know what? I mean, you, you're in the presses, mate. Uh, does he? Does Sarri really want to sign Higuain? And for God's sake, why?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, he's he, he's worked he's worked with Higuain before, obviously, and it's a fairly common trope for for managers to immediately gravitate towards the players who've thrived under them before. I mean, Higuain was absolutely brilliant under Sarri at Napoli. There's there, there's no doubt about that. He broke the Serie A scoring single season scoring record. He was absolutely sensational, but. That was a good three, four years ago now, and uh, you know back then he would have been an interesting addition to the Premier League, and, and it's clearly that 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 ship has long since sailed. Yeah. Um, why, Sar- can't Sarri, why can't sorry? Why can't sorry see that Liam? Well, I think I think sorry. Um, I've heard from people I've spoken to that he has he has a tendency to become fixated with certain players. Oh. That's funny. Uh, yeah. That he likes, which is sort sort of uh, esque at times, I guess. He 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 wants to see the best in them, and when he has seen the best in them, he will he will trust them even if their form falls off a cliff. Which I think is something we saw earlier in the season with Marcus Alonso, certainly. Um, Higuain never got Michael on the cliff
2: players. though, has he? Higuain? Yes, well, on,
1: on a mountainside. Certainly not since. Certainly not since January. I mean, whenever he's asked about Higuain. He says he would like him back next season, but to be fair to Sarri, he says that about every single player we ask True. him about. It's almost his stock response because he—it's—it's it's an easy way to avoid defending anyone, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> just, just say point. you want just say you want them all back next season, even if you don't like them. Um, and it's
2: tactful, isn't it? Really, he's not. Yeah. Really- Asserting himself in any way, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean I would be absolutely stunned on many levels if if, if Chelsea either extended that loan or made that deal permanent. Because yeah. um big, big not only because of the way Higuain has performed this year and you know, projecting ahead, he'll turn thirty-two next season. He's not gonna get any quicker. <laughs> and, and and he can't really get much slower than he's been in the last sort of three or four months. Um but also and part of the reason why Juventus is so keen to offload him is because he's on gargantuan wages. He's on nearly £300,000 a week, and I'm sure he wouldn't be taking a wage cut to come to Chelsea. So if Chelsea wanted to extend that loan, they'd, they'd be covering at least the bulk of those wages for next season. And if they wanted to buy him, they'd, they'd have to match that money. And that would make him, I think, second only to Kante in the squad for earnings. And aside, aside from the fact that it would be just... Catastrophic in isolation to give a player that old and that obviously in decline that kind of money. You've seen with Alexis Sanchez what at uh, Manchester United what it can do to a dressing room.
0: Oh hell yeah! I mean, talking of old and in decline, this was the other thing that I was going to speak about a minute ago. Before I, I forgot, that I hadn't talked to you about Higuain, uh, Liam. Thank you for your enlightenment there. But uh, I, the first thing I noticed when I saw the team was that he'd put Aspie, uh, you know, in central defence and Zappacosta uh at right back which irked me somewhat, not least because of course the obvious thing to do would have been to have put Cahill in there. What harm could it have possibly done in the last game of the season? But uh, uh I mean, you know, I I'm just kind of, I feel like I'm shouting into a I'm, it's a bit like a tramp shouting at cars really. That's how I feel about going on about Cahill. Um but I just think the snubbing in fact I actually funnily enough on, on Love Sport I absolutely lost my shit and went on a massive rant about it. And uh, Johnny Burrow looked slightly worried and disturbed that I was going to punch <laughs> something. Uh, but there you go. Um, anyway, so poor old Cahill was subbed. But I t- snubbed. But what I did like, uh, Liam, was the fact that Mark Gahey was on, on the bench. Uh, not used, but he got on the bench. And just for those of you who don't know who anything about him, I, I've done a little bit of homework. And I, I apologise for, you know, I I just presume that everybody's like me and, and you know, doesn't read anything and really doesn't know anything. Uh, of course, you will probably know anyway, but I'm going to read this out anyway for those of you who don't. Uh, he's 18 years old. He's been at Chelsea since he was seven. He can play centre-half all right back. He was the captain of England's World Cup winning under-17 side, and he scored in the final when they, they won 5-2. I think they beat Spain, didn't they? Anyway. Uh, and, of course, he won the quadruple with Chelsea's youth side in 2017-18. So, in a sense, uh, Liam, he's like the, the one of the cream of the crop of the uh, much-lauded England World Cup winning so under seventeen side, who of course had Hudson and in it, and Sancho and uh, P- Phil Fowden amongst. Uh, about, well, there were five Chelsea players. They weren't there, but uh, I'm really pleased to see that
1: he's got a little bit of recognition there. Kind of is is that promising? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he's had a big time youth career, as you uh, as you just went through, and I think the fact that he maybe plays a slightly less glamorous position to the likes of you know Jaden Sancho. Uh, Phil Foden, Callum Hudson-Odoi means that he hasn't been as widely talked about as some of those guys, but he's clearly one of the most gifted um, defenders of his age in Europe, and uh, and he's, he's been training with the first team for some time, so it was, it was nice to see him get in the, the first-team squad. Um, I, I couldn't really understand why Sarri maybe couldn't find a few minutes for him oh, off the quite. bench. In the in the second half of a meaningless game, I know he he was probably prioritising resting the players he wanted to rest, and they 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 might not have tallied with taking defenders off. But it, it, I don't think it would have taken much um, to give him ten fifteen minutes at the end, and it would have been a big show of faith. But he's he's gone to Boston with the squad. The other interesting thing I think about Mark Gray is that his contract expires at the same time as Callum hudson Doyce. Oh, so there could be. There, there, there could be a, a similar situation with him, where Chelsea are forced into a little bit of a, uh, a belated charm offensive, having have, having pretty much you know ignored him in terms of first team involvement this season. They might have to accelerate things at the start of next year if they if they want to keep him long term.
0: Indeed, Jonathan, do you know much about him?
2: No, but I've, I'm fascinated by the success of the youth and how on earth do they accommodate it? How I just I don't know what they're going to do about all these obviously clearly terrific players coming through. Well, you know they've they've created a a rod to beat themselves up with, haven't they? By having such a wonderful academy, and they've yeah. got to channel them through somehow. Well,
1: you know the answer I, to that. You know the answer to that. Well, this, well, well. This is a this is a problem I think a lot of people don't really talk about too much with with the academy system in in, in England, which is. Since the P came in, what you've seen is the funneling of all the best young English talent into the academies of clubs who have the least opportunity to give them first team minutes. So Chelsea oh, yeah. and Man City have become the two most dominant youth teams uh, in England by by a significant margin. And they clearly do a fantastic job up to the age of 18 of developing these guys technically They've got. They're exposed to the the best facilities money can buy, the best sort of nutritional and you know physio treatment that money can buy, and and it's it's like a it's like going to the best possible university. But you can have too many talented young players, and I think Chelsea Chelsea definitely have this problem. I think City have this problem to an extent as well, where you, you just reach critical mass, and Chelsea can't actually play all of these guys, at least not give them all the minutes they need. To, to, do it, to fulfill their potential, and I think what we're seeing as well with Hudson andoy, maybe with maybe with gray I, I, I don't know. But given you know his current contra- contract situation, it's likely there's about five or six guys in that in that youth and development squad this year um, who, who are out of contract and will be moving on. I think the players and their families, their agents, are realizing that you can use this system to your advantage. You can. You can use it like a university, and you can you can take everything that Chelsea, that Man City have to offer up to the age of eighteen, give yourself the best possible chance of, of having a professional career from a from a technical and skill standpoint, and then go elsewhere to play and 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 find a club that actually wants to give you, you know, the the contract, but also the assurances and the, and the minutes.
0: Well, I was going to say, yeah. I, well, may I agree with you? I was going to say the only way that this might change, of course, is if we get. If we do get the transfer ban imposed, and then we get a manager who's prepared to play some, if you know some of them, I don't, I wouldn't recommend playing all of them because we'll get relegated. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, course, JK. okay. Who, who's
2: um, Liam? Who, who's the uh, the striker in this setup? Who's um, the, who's been performing the best in the youth for Chelsea? Are there any of them that you could you've got knowledge of? Because it seems to me that the striker is the is the biggest problem that we've got. Um, uh, and if there's a if there's a a decent eighteen um, year old, I mean, surely he should be given a go.
1: I'm not well, suggesting thought, that you know
2: obviously, they obviously they can go into the in get get Abraham's from and Bashuai back if necessary, who appears to be able to score goals that uh, Higuain would never get anywhere near. But um, I just wonder what what we seem at the moment to have a proliferation of of centre halves and right backs. Um, you know, as Ampadu, there's there's um, what's his face who plays for teams. Villa. Uh, the Reese James as well, but all of these, I, do, I know. And you think, how is this guy going to get in this? This Mark Gouy, if you've got uh, already got Reese James there at right back, and if he's he going to hang on to Maury, Z- <laughs> yeah, and Maury absolutely, and to hang on if he's going to hang on to Zappa Costa, which didn't didn't look to me as if he was going to be on his bike. He played very well within the system. Perhaps they're beginning to learn the system as the season goes on, and they're revealing at the end of the season they're actually. You know, I actually saw some patterns of football that I haven't seen before on uh, um, yesterday when I, uh, I when I watched it this morning. I thought, bloody hell, they're actually playing some triangles here that are that are really rather efficient. This is efficient football. So you know, it means there definitely won't be anybody getting in from the youth. You'll just keep the same players. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm bemused about how what on earth they're going to possibly do with this. As I say, why? Who is? Is there a striker? Is there a uh, a youth striker who is? who was the guy who was in the um, uh, in the uh, European cup winning side what was his name do you know
1: um, well i mean the last couple of years they've had guys like martel taylor crosdale and um and Deshaun redan the, the the dutch dutch striker that they signed as a teenager you've got charlie brown as well um, they're all they're all still playing yeah i mean, I mean a lot of those guys are still uh, are still playing at the moment and uh, and obviously i mean tammy abraham would be the first in line you would imagine <laughs> If, yeah. and, and did you hear it was interesting that when uh, Higuain was subbed off against Leicester, the away fans chanted Tammy Abraham's name? Yes, I did. Yes. God. That is
0: funny. I like that. All yeah. right. OK, yeah. let's uh, let's move the show down the road. We're going to do part two in a second. Uh, and when we do, uh, I'm going to talk about this. Uh, Chelsea have hilariously, in my opinion, shithoused their way. Uh, to third in the Premier League, uh, to be the top team in London. I mean, you know, in amongst all of the awfulness of this season for many people, not all, but for many people, the fact that we've ended up the top team in London is putting a massive, massive grin on my face, not to mention a laugh or five. But uh, it's fair to ask, I think, given that, uh, how much credit does Sarri deserve? Or was it, in fact, more down to the failings of Arsenal, Spurs and United? Uh, And has there really been any improvement uh, on last season, Uh, And in all of that, we're going to look back at the good, the bad, and the ugly from this season and ask will the club stick with Sarri or Twist? We'll see you in a second. The only place for Chelsea fans.
2: Footballfancast.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys. On the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total Nutters
0: and Proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. Uh, I am Stanford Chidge, of course, and you are listening to the Chelsea Fancast. Uh, and I'm joined by the effervescent Mr. Jonathan Kidd and, <laughs> and the incredibly erudite and knowledgeable and also very lovely Liam Toomey from. ESPN, the uh, the Chelsea correspondent of ESPN, in fact. So there you go. Uh, right, uh, quick plug. Uh, we do have a website and uh, we do have one or two writers who are very, very lovely. Uh, Dean Mears, who's in Mixler at the moment, is among them. Uh, so do check it out. It's well worth it. Uh, we also put a very interesting one up this week, actually, which was from our mate uh, from Chelsea in Sweden uh, who found this article uh, on a Swedish website, which was an interview of one of the FIFA blokes there, I think, who's been involved with the... Uh, You know, the Cass appeal with Chelsea or certainly the FIFA element of the transfer ban. And Daniel very kindly translated the entire article and we posted it up on uh, the website. So that's well worth a look. It's good stuff and nobody else would have seen that. So get on it, people. Uh, Anyway, enough of me prattling on. Um, What an absolutely, completely and utterly bizarre uh, football season this has been. Uh, I I have to say, I'm now going to big myself up massively. Uh, you know, not not that I need to, because I have an ego the size of a planet anyway. But uh, as many of you will know, uh, in fact, there are people who have yet to be discovered in the Amazon rainforest who know that for the last kind of six weeks, maybe, I have been doing this kind of race for the Premier League chart. I've gone all Arsenal, basically. I've done a spreadsheet, haven't I, Jonathan? Oh, yes, Chich. Oh, yes. But it's got colours in it. It's quite sexy, really. I don't understand it at all, but well done. No, well, uh, basically every week I've been kind of predicting what the results will be between, you know, Man United, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, Liverpool, City to establish whether Chelsea will finish in the top four. Uh, and I've been generally uh, about 50-50, to be fair, so I'm not going to big myself up too much. But, you know, this week uh, I pretty much got it all spot on, apart from Man United losing to Cardiff. Who on earth? Who on earth would have predicted that? <laughs> Not even I would have predicted those idiots would lose 2-0. Um, but I predicted that Arsenal would draw with... Oh, I got that wrong too. So that's two I got wrong. Apologies. I thought that Arsenal would draw against Burnley. They, in fact, won. I thought that we would draw against... Everton, uh, sorry, Spurs would draw against Everton. That we would draw against Leicester. That, that Liverpool and City would both win. So I kind of got a few right. But uh, the more more pertinent point was that I did actually predict that Chelsea would finish third on 72 points, that Spurs would finish fourth on 71 points... Uh, And I got United and Arsenal slightly wrong, although I had had Arsenal on on, uh, 68. No, I had Arsenal on 70, get it right. No, no, hang on, get get it the right way around. I had Arsenal on uh, 68 and United on 69, so I've got that slightly wrong. But the fact of the matter is, and I think this is the point, how the bloody hell, how the bloody hell did we end up third in the league? And obviously getting Champions League football... Next year and of course don't forget you know we we got to the League Cup although i'm you know I'm a great believer in the fact that if you get to a final you need to go and win it otherwise uh, what is the point as Bill Sheckley kind of said uh, and of course we're in the Europa Cup too so we might end up with another European trophy which we love and I will talk about later on so my first point really uh I'm, I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask Liam first if you don't mind Jonathan because I kind no. of know what you might say um and of course, as I said, don't don't forget top team in London. You can't argue with that at all. But really, Liam, does, does does Sarri deserve some credit for this? Dare I say it, or not?
1: Well, I think the first thing to say is that in a season like this one, with so many games, it's so many so many things happen. It's it's, it's we all like to paint easy narratives, and you know, as journalists, we fall into it. We fall into it quite a lot. Um, but in bless season- you. In a season as as long and as sort of roller coaster as this one, I think it's fair to say Sarri has, has, has probably made Chelsea different rather than better. I mean, they finished with two points more than last year. And the main reason why they're third rather than fifth is that the mark to get into the top four this year was um, 71 points rather than 75. If, if you look at the way the season actually went... Um, it was very similar to Conte's season in that they, they started pretty well. Um, Conte's second season, I mean. They started pretty well. Everything uh, went to hell in a handbasket in, in January, from about January to March. And then they got their act together again towards the end just enough... <laughs> Except last season, the top four was stronger, so it wasn't quite enough for Chelsea to actually get Champions League football. And this, and this time, it was. I think it's felt a lot different because Chelsea fans don't have the connection with Sarri that they had with Conte, and because of the structural flaws in in the team that were pretty obvious throughout the season. But he deserves some credit because he he, he has he has adapted, at least in the last. Sort he, of how how of would you say how would you say he's adapted, mate? I think he's belatedly um, moved away from certain players. You know, Emerson has got more of a run over Alonso. Obviously, Hudson-Odoi and Loftus-Cheek have got, a few, uh, have got significantly more minutes and meaningful minutes. And I think Loftus-Cheek's real emergence as the third piece in that midfield has been the story of the final part of Chelsea's season. The last two, three months, I think he's he's been excellent. And I think Sarri probably would have started playing him earlier. Had he not had the back injury, um, so he, he has shown some some willingness to to tweak his methods. Obviously, it's still four three three. Obviously, it's still the same system, and that that is not going to change as long as Sari is in, in place. But he's shown a little bit of adaptation around the margins, which suggests, at least to me, that he he that keeping his job at least semi matters to him. <laughs>
2: Do you think that I think that Jorginho has has started playing a lot better? He seems to have worked out how to to play in the Premier League or work out the system, whether Sarri's worked with him, because he's suddenly um, defending better and tackling a lot more and not giving the ball away as much. Um, The trouble is, if he does give the ball away once, there are still those who are having a go at him because they've made a decision that he's that he's terrible. They're not actually looking at the game and thinking, actually, he's contributed quite a lot more than he has been doing. They've made a decision that he's awful and uh, and he's yes. Sarri's boy and they want him out because he's Sarri's boy. And I think this is one of the problems is, rather than looking at the season as having developed in three lumps as we are, I think people made a decision about the the, the style of football and the manager and they've stuck with it all the way through. Rather than going, that's interesting to see how the other Teams have affected us. I think we've really been we benefited from having terrible teams against us in the um, in the Europa League, and it allowed Absolutely. him to play. Allowed him to play um, the second team really, and it gave Adoy and um, and Loftus Cheek the opportunity to get confidence to then find themselves in the first team. And I think actually that was, whether he arrived at that by a fluke or whether he thought, I'll just give people a rest, whether it was about giving people a rest. But I think it contributed to the team's better finish. I know we didn't get a great deal of points in the last few games, but to me, we look a more coherent setup. Um, and uh, and we've drawn games, at least, rather than losing them. And Whereas other the others, the other teams, have really been been on it. You know, they've had to play they've had to put their best team out in nearly every single game they haven't been able to rest in the champions league spurs are an example and even even emery i don't think he swapped many players around for the uh, for the europa league so they've they've really been been exhausted in comparison to chelsea and i think to me that's contributed to one of the reasons why we've why we've ended up third
0: i think you know uh, you look you know this is the other trouble i mean I said I said this earlier on, didn't I? In the uh, in the intro- what on earth is that noise? It's me blowing my nose. Oh right! Oh God, I thought I thought the, a, a bookshelf had come down on you. Um, I thought that uh, you know, as I was saying earlier on, it's very complicated this season because everything has been set up in in black and white terms. Maybe that's a function of of social media, of course, which is you know leaves absolutely no room for grey areas or nuance. So. Maybe the two are inextricably linked. But, you know, I don't think you can sit here and say he has been absolutely shit and awful completely uh, in terms of, you know, what's going on on the pitch and the season in as much as you can't say he's been the second coming of Jesus fucking Christ. You know, some, the truth lies somewhere in between. But there are things that need to be pointed out. And the first of those is that is what Jonathan was alluding to a minute ago. One is, you know, and this, is, this applies to all... All of, you know, Arsenal, Spurs, United and Chelsea. 16 points out of the last 60 were won by those four teams in their last five uh, games. Chelsea did the best, of course, which is why we ended up third. We won six out of 15 points. But I'm afraid, people, that is bottom of the table form, not top of the table form. And, uh, you know, we scored five goals away from home in 2019. Five. Five goals away from home. Three against Fulham, two against Cardiff. That's atrocious. But uh, picking up on Liam's point, um, because uh, uh, I, I, wonder, I presume he was probably reading this, but I've been printing out uh, the league table, uh, which of course is now finished for this season, uh, against the league table at the close of play from last season. And it is, it is astonishing, the figures, uh, just to run through. This year, we played 38, won 21, drawn 9, lost 8, goals four sixty three, goals against 39, goal difference 24, points 72. And we finished third. Last season, we finished fifth. We played 38, won 21, same number of games. Drew seven, so we drew two less. We lost 10, we lost two more. Goals for 62, goals against 38, goal difference 24, exactly the same. And we were two points worse off on 70. But, I, I mean, that tells me that, you know what, we've kind of, you know, marginally, marginally, marginally improved statistically, at the end of the day. Um, But there hasn't been... I mean, so we basically stayed the same. But, of course, what's happened is that uh, Man United have been beyond shit. They got 66 points uh, this season. They were second last year with 81. Uh, Spurs, uh, weirdly, got 77 last year. They've now got 71. So they're worse, marginally, you could say. Um, And Arsenal Arsenal have improved slightly. I mean, they got 63 points last season, finished 6th. They've gone up to fifth uh, and with 70 points. So I think there is a really strong case. This is kind of really what I'm saying, uh, Liam. There is a strong case to say that whilst we've pretty much stayed the same, we've been helped considerably by Tottenham being marginally worse and Arsenal uh, being kind of a little bit better, but not good enough to be better than us, and United being woeful.
1: Is that fair enough? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, United spent all of about three months of this season as a complete dumpster fire. And and the thing that amazes me looking at that table is you look at Spurs. They've lost 13 games. Yeah. They've lost 13 games. And, That's twice and, as and, many and,
0: as last year, mate.
1: And finished fourth. That's incredible. Mm. I mean, g- given how good a team they are, which yeah. I think, you know, the champ- the Champions League has been a much uh, truer truer reflection of, of of their quality as a team. 13 defeats is absolutely astonishing. And it probably speaks to, as as JK said, you know, how much... These European exertions have taken out of some of these teams. You know, Tottenham have been so emotionally and physically invested in the Champions League since since February. I think that's that's really hurt them. And Ar- and Arsenal, I haven't haven't looked into it, but yeah, that, that's probably a, a good point, JK, that they've they've maybe ro- rotated less, or they've had the ability to rotate less than than Chelsea have. Because I think what what Chelsea do have is uh, not. Not necessarily many world-class players in this squad, but quite a lot of pretty okay players, you know. And when you factor in how much easier their Europa League run has been than, than your average your your average European campaign, uh, that's been enough to get it done, even with like seven eight changes every three days. So that, uh, to to go back to something I said a, a little while ago, I think Sarri has made Chelsea different. Not necessarily better because I don't think the I, I, I don't think the squad's changed very much and I still think they're you know, the the squad needs a lot of improving. Uh, most notably someone who can reliably put the ball in the net. But it's it but this season has felt a lot different because Chelsea fans don't have the connection with Sarri that they do with Conte. Well, yeah, and I mean, a, yeah and they don't and they don't and they don't really identify with what he's trying to do.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a I, I've been saying this, you know to any idiot who's prepared to listen, Liam, for months, as you know, because you've been on the fan cast as well, that, you know, I think that, that Sarri in many respects has become the scapegoat for a huge, uh, you know, festering number of issues from a lot of supporters that they have with the club. And, of course, we're in this weird position at Chelsea that, you know, it's almost sacrilege to 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 bitch about Roman and blame him for obvious reasons. So, actually, it's much easier to go and find... Uh, a convenient scapegoat, and of course, Sari is very much a convenient scapegoat for this. Jonathan, um, you know, do you know what I would say if I was, if I had my Mister Mister Fair hat? You know, remember Mister Men? If I was Mister Fair tonight, I would say that given that if you don't really, you know, buy many players in the season or strengthen the squad, uh, and if you pretty much rely on the same squad as you did the season before you will go backwards because basically in the premier league you need to strengthen every season to improve but given given that given that there was a a transitional nature about this to kind of you know certainly statistically maintain where you are but actually in reality end up third rather than fifth that's not bad at all really um it's the style
2: though of play that is the problem um Uh, And once again, I I think it's because there isn't anybody who scores properly. And I think I think he's really been let out of jail, Um, even though it is it has been a decent season. But I'll say what I said before. I think it's because of the cheek and the doy and that has that has allowed us to actually play better and get the results. And I think without those two. Um, for this for the last third of the season i think we probably have finished 7th and and the lower down we'd have finished i think the the more the sarri out brigade would have just the the, the momentum would have caused him to be uh got rid of sooner um rather than even possibly later because he still may go but I, it's looking more, more unlikely um and i think uh, particularly with the, the the improvement of the of the players um uh, I think next year he he, he has the p- potential for getting better um, because he'll be used to the whole setup. He'll he'll be aware of what players can play the system. Um, you know, it might be that Dave plays in that position um, forever now. Now that he's worked it out that he can play there because he certainly can't play right back in his system because he can't centre enough. And as I said, Zappacosta comes in and he centres well. And he's not a great defender, but he's much quicker and he seems to fit the template. Um, so um, I think the problem, as I've said, is that so many people have um, have gone for your the bad, which is his... Uh, well, I
0: haven't, we, even, you know, got, I haven't got, even got to
2: that yet. We're I'm talking, talking about I'm improvement. Thinking, yeah, sorry, sorry. <clears throat> we're talking about... Um, uh, can, I, can, I, can I... Yes, I, and we're talking about the good, aren't we, at the moment? Um, uh is uh, yes, his playing out from the back has improved.
0: Well, we're not talking about that either yet. Oh, just, God, what talking, are we on now, Trinch? We're, well, we're all so. over the place, but don't worry about it. I mean, we're still talking about, has it been an improvement? Uh, should we give him some credit for, you know, where we finished? And I think, you know, I think, to be fair, we should... Do you know what? Here's a, here's a good thing. This this is not in the script, JK. This I found uh, from the delightful Chelsea youth, who is an absolute, as Liam will know, or, you know, Chelsea... What do they, they bloody call it? These young people... The Chelsea FT, isn't it, uh, Liam? You know, football Twitter. So there we go. But anyway, Chelsea youth is a legend in my eyes. He came out with a brilliant graphic today. and if you want, and I think actually this goes to the heart of what kind of you're alluding to, J.K. and Liam, which is the the, the reason why it's all a bit meh, and why it's the old the, the old the alcoholic yadars like me uh, really are not having it, right? And he's broken uh, broken the league down uh, by position, obviously, and matches home and away. And if you look at Chelsea's results against the bottom half of the, of the table, so everybody from Watford down to Huddersfield, we, we, we basically won every match apart from losing away to Bournemouth where, of course, we lost horribly, horribly 4-0 and draws, away, draws at home to Burnley and Southampton, which, of course, are deemed unacceptable. But if you look at the top half, right, the top half, 20 matches from City... You know, City, Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal, United, Wolves, Everton, Leicester, West Ham. Those twenty matches, we only won four, and that was City at home, great; Tottenham at home, fantastic; Arsenal at home, first match of the season, great; and West Ham, fantastic. People we love to beat, but it's the losses away. You know, City, Liverpool, Tottenham, Arsenal, which were all horrible defeats. I should hasten to add, Wolves, and Leicester, uh, and uh, Everton annoying, you know, to be honest, but hurt less than losing to to Spurs and Arsenal, that's for sure. So if you only win four matches out of 20 against the top half of the table, I don't think that, A, I don't think that's very good, but also I can see, you know, why supporters who have been used to, you know, perhaps not winning the title that season, but at least beating the top six and giving them a bloody nose, if you look completely rubbish against the top half of the table...
1: It's dispiriting, isn't it, Liam? Yeah, it is. It is, and I think it—you know—it it feeds into the narrative that um, some have some of propagated this season that Sari ball, or you know, whatever wh- whatever people are, are using as the shorthand for what Chelsea have played this season. I don't think they've really played Sari ball at all, but um, that it doesn't work against the better teams. And 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 you know, looking at that table, it's it's. It becomes a little bit harder to to argue against that. Um, I think the, the most damning thing for me is the the away from home element of it. The, the fact that they haven't beaten a top ten opponent away from home is is pretty damning. But I think that speaks just as much to, you know, what I've referred to before as I think the the mental flakiness of this group of players. Yeah. And I don't think that's a I don't think that's a recent phenomenon. I think it predates Sarri because we saw it towards the end of the Conte era. We saw it towards the end of the Mourinho era where you can't say these players are mentally weak because they've, they've achieved too much and won too much together to be mentally weak. And they and you can't win a league title by being mentally weak. But no. you, But there is a sort of mental, there does seem to be a sort of mental flakiness where if things are going against them in within a game, they can get down on themselves. Uh, they can let... They can let things spiral out out of control and have about 10 10 or 15 minutes where they simply lose their heads and concede two, three goals. And this season, it's been happening happening a lot between the 45th and 60th minutes, (laughs) right at the start of the second half. Yeah. And they, they put themselves in holes that they can't get out of. Again, because going back to what we said before, they don't have a striker who can score them out of trouble.
0: And I think that's the biggest... Sorry, Liam, you, you sound like you're about to carry on. Sorry, mate. No, 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 that, that,
1: that, that was it. I mean, I think... I, I, I do think... I, I, I've been thinking for months, and it, and it, still, it still really appeals to me as a, as a theory. I don't think it would have fixed everything, but I think this season would have felt so much different. And I think a lot of people... Would would have a very different opinion of where Sarri's system is, or Sarri's implementation of the system is, um, if Chelsea just had didn't have the worst strikers in the top six.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely, mate. Well, I, I mean, again, we've been saying this for a lot. I'm going to just kind of bring in the mixler peeps here because they're all loving this. They they're having a good old good old uh, you know chat with each other here, and you know Vin uh, Vin de Blue is going on about you know. Why is this being judged when it's just his first season and that we're in transition and that Mark's saying it, all that matters is short-term success? And I, and I get what you're saying. And I, and, and I mean, we're judging them because we've just had the season, and that's fine. And actually, what I was saying was, you know, has he made as the has there been any improvement? Have we stood still? And I think, you know, on balance, there's been a marginal improvement, and we've kind of stayed where we are, which is not necessarily a bad thing given that we're in transition. But I think that you know that point about, you know. As Liam was saying, you know, not winning uh away against any of the the top ten, I think, is, is a pretty sorry state of affairs. And I think the reason why we're we're talking about this after one year is because that's what the club do, you see. They don't they don't get these managers don't get time anymore. They really, really don't. And, you know, we've been saying for years that they should do, but I don't think it's you see this is the point. We are at the moment concentrating on the stats on the on the what happens on the pitch what happens with the players what happens between the manager and the players it's never just about that it's never ever just about that uh it really isn't and that's what i'm going to move on to now so thank you mix the people for giving me a nice little segue into that um because uh you know there have been good things there have been bad things and there have been downright ugly things this season i shall run through the list for the good and then we'll get the boys to comment um we finished third we're the top team in London. I think that's fantastic. I will tell you what, mate, I am just delighted with the fact that we're top team in London because for me that's really important that we shit house our rivals. We're in. We we got we got to the League uh, Cup final. We stupidly lost, but it could have gone the other way. I thought we'd play well. We're in the Europa Cup final. We might win it, and then you know we've won another trophy. How fantastic is that? I think we've learned how to play out from the back a bit. I think Loftus Cheek and Callum Hudson-Odoi, uh, you know, breaking through have been really fantastically. I quite like Sari's honesty and directness. It's kind of weirdly refreshing. And I think it's been Hazard's best season, arguably. So there's, 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 there is good stuff here, isn't there, Jonathan? We should. We, you, I know you're keen to talk about this. It's, it, that's good. <laughs>
2: well, saying about Loftus-Cheek and Callum, Callum
0: Hudson-Odoi, I think it saved his
2: season, really, both of them, by being uh, so terrific, particularly Loftus-Cheek, who's been um, absolutely outstanding. Um, and this is from somebody who I was willing to discard uh in previous seasons through his lack of effort. But uh, you know, g- good for him. Fantastic. It's such a shame that a that done himself with a rather nasty injury, obviously. And um yes, I I, I um Um, I suppose what I don't like is the fact that our our manager doesn't appear to have much of a sense of humour. But I think it's because he's so angry all the time about the fact that they're not playing the way that he wants them to play. Um, And his English isn't that good. We must remember that he's with all these people. We don't see a side of them as they really are because they don't speak the language terribly well. Um, But, yeah, it's 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 bizarrely ended up being. Fantastic, considering that we don't have an end result. I think, um, I, and I've always tried to look at the positives behind this. You know, it's like even watching the Leicester game and thinking, well, actually, we are passing the ball excellently, and Leicester, who've been playing out of their skin recently, didn't have an opportunity to do so in the first half, in particular, because we were so in control. That, um, other than Louise, of course, falling over twice, and the dilemma is, of course, is Louise is Clearly, a terrific player, and they've rewarded him with a a two-year contract. Can I just finish this? Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. But
2: but but, um, uh, he plays. He clearly plays well in in what the system that 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 Sari wants. But he has these errors in him, and I don't know how they're going to deal with that. But yeah, the the um, uh, and I'm not sure it was Hazard's best season, Chich. I think it's it's, statistically not far off. Indeed, indeed. But just in terms of, um, I think it's because. Uh, he's done fantastically considering it's it's a it's it's a team with not much cohesion in comparison with previous excellent sides this isn't an excellent side this isn't an excellent side who finished third it's a side who've done well who've done much better than we ever thought they would and has created a conundrum with the manager and the setup because You can't just say, no, it was shit. We've got to get rid of him. You can't after that because he's achieved everything that was required of him. Plus, he may win the Europa League Cup, which would be brilliant.
0: Mm. Liam, what do you think? These are good points, aren't they? And, uh, you know, I think, think, you know, if we were were doing this as a balance sheet, I mean, I haven't got to the bad and the ugly yet, but uh, they they would certainly stand in his favour, wouldn't they?
1: Well, I was just thinking, looking at that list, that you could probably put his honesty under the good and the bad. <laughs> well,
0: that's because, that's uh, a good point. That's a the, good point. Because
1: it's while it's while it's often been great for us as journalists. Yeah. Um, I was thinking even even in the early weeks of the season, the fact that when you ask Sari what he thinks of a player, he always tells you the good, the bad. You know, a, a sort of forensic breakdown of what what they do well and what they don't do well it's the kind of thing that, that is fine when the team is winning, but as soon as the team starts struggling, that, that will be used as a, a stick with which to beat him. And, and you know, I think his, on, his, his honesty has veered into uh, questionable, questionable man management at times. And, uh, and, and I think there, there are a lot of things that maybe Sarri wasn't used to dealing with from the, from the media side and sort of just being the face of an entire club to the world I think he, he really wasn't prepared for that aspect of the job coming, coming even, even from Napoli, which is a, big, a huge club in its own right. But Chelsea's got a level of international profile that, that Napoli just doesn't. Well, um, I, 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 yeah, I think overall the good does outweigh the bad. I mean, we've already had really? the conversation of how much the good uh, Sari is responsible for. I think he's re- responsible for some of it. Mm. But, uh, and some of it is, is circumstantial as we've spoken about the top four race. But uh but the key thing for me is that and why I think Sari's situation is still so uncertain is that even if he does win the Europa League um and I, I, I do I do feel I do instinctively feel that if he has a full preseason, the way he wants things, and he has been talking to the club about how pre season will be arranged, um that Chelsea will play the system better next year. There's no way that they can't with with, with that much more time to to work on it, and with a few extra players, whether they'd be returning loanies or transfers. But, and this is the huge but, things have gotten so bad with the fans.
0: Well, I'm going to get onto that. The, let, let me let me get okay. onto that and then finish that point because uh, you know this is the other side of the balance sheet, and I'll just I'll just whiz through this, Liam, and then I'll let you pick it up. All right? Sure. Uh, I mean, and and this the interesting thing is, you see, because people will just, I and mean, the way that we've been talking about this, it's just like, well. You know, we can't find any kind of cast-iron reasons why why there's bad stuff and it's all kind of like vague, nebulous stuff, like, well, we just don't like him because he smokes. It's not just that. But the relationship with the supporters is, is is awful. I mean, I would say that the disconnect and the division amongst the supporters is worse than even it was in in the Benitez era. And in the Benitez era, of course, actually the support was pretty unified. Most of them hated him. But the relationship with the supporters is is, is, is rubbish. Uh yeah, I mean it's you know there are I think real substantive issues that are bad that are to do with the way that we play and the way that he manages the side and Liam's picked up a few of these it's the tactical intransigence and the poor subs, no plan B. I think the treatment of some of the squad players is bordering on you know bloody autistic, it's awful, Cahill, snubbed, drink water, okay, he might have been shit, who knows, we never saw him, you know, and he just does that, he just basically has his little group of players that he wants to use, and then everybody else can <laughs> fuck off, basically, and I think you have seen some plenty of poor player management in the game, I mean, you know, not, not talking to the squad at all when, uh, before the penalty shootout, which I thought was just nuts, poor player judgment, you know, we, we talked about Higuain earlier on, selecting players who have been out of form, you know, for far too long, Liam mentioned that, his kind of blind spot there. Kante, I, I know, I don't want to get to the whole Kante argument again, but, you know, most people in the game think that Kante is the best player in his position. And, okay, I know sorry doesn't play with a player of that position, but there's an argument to say that Kante's been wasted. Uh, and as I said earlier on, I alluded to some of the performances. I mean, we've had some really utterly shocking results this year. Uh, Bournemouth and City, of course, right up there. And I thought United was was really, really awful. So there we go, Liam. Um, and I just just to finish off, actually, and this, this, is, this brings right into your point, Vinod, the lovely Vinod, makes a really good point on Mixler here. He says, the reason for the negativity uh, is the sheer lack of energy on the pitch. If the players tried, ran around, tackled hard, and the goals or results did not follow, fans would be a little pissed. Little less pissed, I think he means, and I think that's a good point, Liam, because you know we're all we're kind of singling out Sarri here, but the players have a part to play here too, don't they? And I wonder if it's just their weak mentality, as he's often gone on about, or if in fact um, they, like they have with other managers, don't like what they're being told, how they're being told to play. And of course, like Conte, uh, you know, Sarri likes to play a very strict, patterned way of playing, which will not appeal to players who. Like to use their own kind of spontaneity, initiative, and and that kind of thing. So I wonder if there's an issue there as well.
1: Well, the first thing I'd say is I don't think a dressing room ever speaks with one voice. Um, I, the sense I've gotten all season is that there are certain players in in that dressing room, in that Chelsea dressing room, that really, really like Saris football, really believe in it, really are invested in its success. Um, And you could probably name most of them, you know, you know, David Luiz is his biggest disciple along with Jorginho. And then there are others who probably don't believe in it so much because they've, they've won a different way. They've not just played a different way. They've won playing a different style of football. And I think when, you know, when the setbacks happen and there have been, as we've mentioned, some really big setbacks this season, I think you're, your belief gets shaken more if you had your doubts about the, the system to begin with, than if you were just uh, sort of like a you know a Sarri fundamentalist. And I, I think part of that is a part of that is a problem because if you look at if you look at Guardiola's team at City, if you look at Klopp's Liverpool, every single player on that pitch moves with one mind, essentially, um, and they and they are one hundred percent. Committed and 100% believe in in the plan because they know the plan works, and also because they've got a really intense, sort of charismatic leader who's been proven to know what he's doing um, and consistently gets it right. I mean, Sari may well, may, you know, may well be a, a really, really top, um, top, top coach in that in that sense, but he hasn't proven it as much as as Klopp and Pochettino has. He's come, and he's come into a club that has historically had a very different footballing culture. I think all that has been very, very difficult. He's certainly not done himself any favours um, internally or externally with just the fact that he's not, he's not a ter- terribly charismatic guy. He's not a terribly sociable guy. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he, he, even in sort of the narrow sense that I've experienced it as a journalist, um, at Conte was far more media friendly than Sarri is. There's there's, there's no comparison. I mean, Sarri is nothing, no, nothing personal with any of us. You know, he, he's perfectly polite, but he doesn't want to spend one second more than he has to in our company. Which I think a lot of people would say probably uh, you you deserve it, you you dirty journalist, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would never say that Liam I well, would never are, say there, that there are people on on, twi- on Chelsea Twitter that would and I, I understand that but um, but that's just one example of and I think there's been all sorts of aspects of, of the club and of the job of being a leader of a club of this size and a team of this size that Sarri hasn't quite got to grips with and, and man management within his squad is, is certainly part of that I think the treatment of Gary Cahill has been a huge black mark against him I mean I, I was... You know, he 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 gave him he gave him his farewell with that ninth minute sub, and 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 Sari actually came out of that day looking quite good after Cahill had done that interview with the Telegraph slagging him off. To then actually sort of come across as the bigger man and 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 give him his Stanford Bridge farewell later in the day It was a good look for Sari. But he 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 undid all that work three days later by having Cahill on the bench for Europa League semi final, Christensen gets injured and he moves Aspilaqueta to centre back and brings Zapacosta on. Now it it worked. Zaposta played well, Aspilaquetta didn't didn't screw up or anything. Um but it was incredibly embarrassing to Cahill and and uh, and that will basically be the last act of of, of Cahill at Chelsea. And you, you can see when when it's when it's things like that and being left out of Europa League trips earlier in the season and all sorts. You can see why Cahill says he wants to forget this season ever happened. <laughs> that's just one example of how Sarri has kind of uh, has got things badly wrong with, with, with certain people and, and with certain aspects of his job.
2: He could have redeemed himself in the Leicester game by bringing Kate <clears throat> on for another ten minutes at the end because that's what Leicester were doing. Leicester brought Simpson on and um, and, and the the Japanese guy didn't they? Who both been in the uh, the title winning side and it almost become a. A uh, friendly by the end, then. So well, he thought- didn't.
1: He, he didn't even. He didn't even travel, J.K. He wasn't in the Oh, didn't the squad. he? Oh, for and I and sake. I, and I was told that. Um, I, I was told in conversations before that game that. He wasn't at the Chelsea Awards dinner either. And there was a there was a tribute video video played to him, but I think it was his decision not to go. And sorry, know, who didn't go? Who didn't go? Gary the Cahill Awards wasn't at d- the, didn't he? The Chelsea. No, I don't wow. not as far as I'm not as far as I'm aware. That's what I was told. He wasn't and he's there. The, he, and he's the club captain. So you can read into that, you know, the feelings He's pissed off. Yeah, you can read into that I think pretty clearly the way he's felt about the whole season and the way he's been treated. And it, was, it was really obvious in that telegraph interview. He couldn't have made it clearer.
2: Mm. Jonathan, well, it's a, it's dreadful, isn't it? If your club captain doesn't come <clears> to the uh, player of the year dinner, I mean, for goodness' sake. But yeah, he obviously felt. We said we don't know what what. I mean, you know more than 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 us, Liam, about what happens in training. Was he still taking part in all the training sessions, or had Ampadu taken over? I know Ampadu was injured for a large part. So did he? Was he part of the club anymore, Cahill? Is that one of the other reasons why he felt? Um, upset about the whole thing because he was training or was he not even training with the first team from time to time what was going on
1: well I mean I I don't know day to day you know I'm not I'm not at Cobham every day and training is a fairly closely guarded secret so he what I do know is for the open training sessions before the Europa League games he was a he was an inconsistent presence sometimes he'd be there sometimes he wouldn't um, and when he was when he was there, you know, for the fifteen minutes we're allowed to watch, where you never really see much of interest anyway. It was all laughs and smiles and everything, but there was no sort of interaction between him and Sari. It was him and his teammates, um, and and you can see the way, you know, the way the the sort of send off he got from from his teammates at, at Stamford Bridge after that last home game, how popular Cahill still is in the dressing room. He got given um, the bumps. Yeah, so I mean, it's it, but I mean, he was left. He he was left out of sev- a couple of Europa League trips, away trips. I think the Malmo trip was one of them, um, with with no explanation. And he, I'm pretty sure he was. Think- he, he was fit at that point. He just wasn't taken with and the if, sport. I th-
0: yeah, and I mean, you know, in true style, Mixler are uh, going off on Cahill. We did this last week and I got very ratty about it. It's, you know, forget the forget it, what you're talking about there. It's, it's not the point. The point is that it's about good management and part of good management is communication. And if you don't communicate effectively with the people under your employ, you are not a good manager. It's an important part of the job. And that actually links me into kind of how I want to conclude this really, because I think Liam... Liam has uh, opened the window on some very interesting stuff here in terms of how the, uh, you know, of how this will go down with the club. And, you know, there's more to being a manager of a football club than what happens, uh, you know, on the pitch, whether we like it or not. I mean, you know, there are bits about that I like and bits about that I don't like at all. But, uh, you know, as uh, as we were saying... Um, you know, the, 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 you know, you know, he's the, he is the manager. He is the figurehead of a big global brand, if you like. Let alone a, a you know a, an elite European football club. So you know, it'll be interesting to see how the club will view this season as a whole. Remembering that in many respects, they're far more uh you know demanding than we are in terms of success and trophies and the like so liam you know given all of that and given what we've been saying in the last kind of 20 minutes or so where are the club going to be with this i mean let's okay let's let's give paint two scenarios the first scenario is we win the europa league the second scenario is that we don't what is likely to happen do you think
1: to be honest i think uh I think the only way that the Europa League now that top four is secured, I think the only way that the Europa League final result could really affect the decision they make on Sarri, um would be if they if they lose really badly. You know, if they get absolutely you know worked by Arsenal in Baku, um, then you know that that ends the season on a really sour note. On on it ends the season on everything that was worst about Sari's first season at Chelsea. It would end the season on. You know the the five Chelsea supporters who've managed to make it to Baku after travelling on fifteen flights, <laughs> booing loudly and uh, and uh, and abusing him. Um, and and then that conditions, I think that that conditions things in the summer. But it's it's a really tough one to call, and I don't think they're they're anywhere near making a decision yet because there are so many variables to weigh up. You know they they have got top four. He has achieved the main aim of this season. Uh, This this was seen as a, you know, there were were no grand aims of rivalling Manchester City or Liverpool this season. There was a realism at Chelsea that um, given how how bad last year was and given how imperfect the summer was, that top four would be an excellent result to just take and move on. And he's done that. Um, And I think there's also a recognition from the club that they couldn't really have done less to put him in position to succeed last summer. You know, Conte took the first few days of pre-season training. Sarri had precious little time, particularly with his key players. I mean, he didn't meet Hazard or Kante until after the Community Shield. And I know it's ancient history at this point, because Chelsea have played more than 60 games and so much has happened. But it was the original sin of this season. Um, And especially with Italian coaches who need that time to work with their players. So that that has to be that has to be a factor. But as we've, you know, the the but that we keep coming back to in all of this is that the, not the Bruce buck, sure. <laughs> the but. Uh, oh right, right. The, that we keep coming back to in all of this is the relationship with the fans, and I think Chelsea have been dismayed with how toxic things have turned towards Sarri and how quickly it happened. I think they were shocked at how quickly it turned because it, if you remember, I mean, again, this seems like an absolute century ago, there were about two or three weeks in autumn where Sarri's name was being sung. Do you yeah, remember that? Do, the same I
2: tune do. as um, to, as the Conte.
1: Yeah, Maurizio, it's yeah, Maurizio. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean it was never as it was never as loud as it was for Conte, but it 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 did happen and it feels amazing to to think that that happened now, given how toxic it, it, it's turned, and it and it happened really, really quickly. And now no, the, the,
0: sorry, the I no, think sorry. the fact. Can...
1: That, well, that that in that sense, I kind of in that sense, I kind of I kind of sympathise with Sarri in a way because in in one sense you could say maybe he could have done more to to nip it in the bud by you know acknowledging the fans earlier, trying to going out of his way to try and like you know put their. Address their concerns and, and, like after games, acknowledging them more regularly and all this. But I think it happened so quickly and it reached such a toxic point so quickly that suddenly you get to the final home game of the season. And was anyone really surprised that he, he didn't dare go on the lap of appreciation? Because you know, how embarrassing would that have been?
0: And wow, how but, how unimportant did,
1: did, that have, did could Benitez that position?
0: Did Benitez at the end of the season? I don't think Benitez did. Did he? He
1: he did. I remember him get. I remember him getting clapped in Amsterdam after the Europa League final.
0: But not not in the last home match of the season. Okay. Yeah. Well, I I don't remember. Yeah, I I don't remember. I've got a terrible memory. Somebody will remind me. I've just got a feeling he didn't. Can you remember, J.K.? I don't think so. I didn't. I didn't clap him in Amsterdam. I I I turned my back. Um, Blimey. I was yeah. in the Southern Cross, pissed. So I don't. I, <laughs> I, I, I
2: certainly didn't. Can I just but ask I know- a question, Liam? I, I, yeah. Is this true about Petr Cech coming in as a, a as an advisor of some sort? Because that's been a, a rumor going around uh, Twitter, and um, I thought I read it in the Standard as well that he was being involved in some way with Chelsea.
1: Well, Matt, Matt Law in the Telegraph went very sure. strong on it um, a couple of weeks ago that he he is coming back. I mean, I I was told a few months ago, and I wasn't the only person who was told this that. Chelsea was had every intention of sitting down with him this summer and discussing a potential role. I mean, the specifics of that role were were not sort of laid out. I mean, it was it was intended to it's intended to be quite a broad, um, quite a broad discussion. Although I I know that Matt Law's piece, I know he reported that um, it would be kind of as like a player liaison, like a link between the dressing room and the and the hierarchy. Um, and that, that I mean that would make sense because that is kind of it's not the direct Emanalo replacement, but it is part of the role that Emanalo um, inhabited when he was at Chelsea, which was as that as that kind of buffer, that that link between the club hierarchy and the coach, the players. Uh, and the you know the day to day employees of the club. Because and that, I think that, that, would, that would take
2: pressure, been, wouldn't it? That would take pressure off off uh, Sari if he was still involved.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, when Emanalo was you know the the popular lightning rod when he was at Chelsea for for lots of things, and when he left, I think the common assumption was that it would leave the the board more exposed to to criticism, and to an extent, that's been borne out. But I think it's also left the coach a lot more exposed because now. The, the, the Chelsea the Chelsea manager has to has to speak even more and has to be the face of even more things that he's not necessarily in control of or or has the the biggest voice on so having someone like Czech particularly someone who because of who he is would instantly command respect um, from ev- and and you know uh, good feelings from everyone at the club I think ma- makes an awful lot of sense and he's always seemed like a very smart um Intellectual character as well, do, so do you, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it at all this summer. I, th- I just, think I think it probably yeah. will happen.
0: Let's wrap this up because it's we've been going on for far too long. I just want to ask very very quickly, uh, Liam. You know, given what we've said, will he be will he be there next
1: season or not? Oof. Um, providing pro, pro, providing Chelsea don't get beaten like three or four nil, <laughs> but providing they don't get destroyed by Arsenal, I think he will be. But I also think it will be, you know, if he if he goes into the new season and loses his first three games, it'll be a really tough spot for for Marina Granovskaya and and, and Chelsea's big decision makers. Mm,
0: interesting stuff. I mean, I'm torn. I don't, I can't work this board out at the moment. You know, half of me thinks that they're like they always used to be, which is bloody ruthless, and they'll get rid of him soon as whatever. But the other reason thing makes me think they're all. They're, I think I suspect they're all a bit mealy mouthed now. You know, and I think that they, they hide behind a lot of things and I wouldn't be surprised if they fudge it somehow. That's kind of my take. But, Jonathan, what do you reckon?
2: Well, I, we don't know what Roman's thinking, what Roman's role is in this. You know, we keep talking about the board and we always keep saying Roman is the board. If Roman is, if Bruce Buck would, would, is to be believed, he speaks to him all the time, that may be absolute rubbish, but um, uh, perhaps he has more of a role in this and is thinking at the moment, yeah, who can I get to replace him? But I think that's one of the other problems is who would they get in to replace him? Who is available? Who, uh, who doesn't have a rather retrograde um, managerial style? You know, that one of the reasons of getting him in was to try and change the way Chelsea played so that they weren't playing defensively. So they were trying to play, you know, Liverpudlian city style of football or even mm. curses Tottenham style of football so that you get, you know, a lovely combination between intricate passing and, uh, um, and uh, rather than just defence and break out but having said that though that seems to be that's the way atletico play but is that the is is that past it is that historical now is that something not to aspire to have have liverpool and city created a blueprint now that everybody needs to try to to uh, implement yeah but the, implement? The
0: date, the, I agree with you and I think a lot of the issues that we've got this season perhaps even amongst the supporters although weirdly there's this i mean i know it's you can't make this generalization because they just don't really ever work. But it, it, it seems broadly split down, you know, I, I'm tempted to say you're alcoholics, but match-going fans and those who aren't going to the matches. But, you hmm. know, I've completely lost the thread of what I was saying then. I like, had, a, had a brain fart moment. <laughs> yes, I know. Right, OK. Well, I, I just wonder if, if, if he's getting a hard time because he's failing in comparison to what Guardiola, Klopp, yes. and to an extent... Pochettino is doing at Spurs, but the trouble is, Jonathan, as we all know, you know, if you now try and catch them up, by the time we have, there'll be some other bloody way of playing. It's a bit like what we've, you know, Roman's chased this futile dream to be fucking Barcelona light ten years after Barcelona were playing it ineffective. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> what a bug. That's what does my nut in.
2: But I also Just think forget it. Go and play how you're going to play. I also think that's one of the reasons why there's so much hatred for Sarri is because. Um, Spurs, uh, but because Liverpool and City are so far ahead, and last season Liverpool were fourth, and there was a kind of you know implosion. They play well for a couple of weeks and then lose to somebody not very good, which is almost how we think that's their rightful position. The fact that they've come out now and pro- probably uh, Liverpool are going to win the, the Champions League does some people's heads in because they yeah. want us. The level we've been at is always been above them over the last last you know 20 28 years 29 years since they won the league and and so to have it to have them ahead of us is really doing lots of people's heads in i'm afraid and and weirdly of course spurs having been touted as the great team the fact that we've finished ahead of them and they're likely to win nothing again will not be mentioned because they they're still somehow they've managed to get into the the public mind as being this this great side because the football is quite attractive. Now, the fact that Sarri doesn't play very attractive football has also been a problem. As a consequence, you know, if we'd been been playing well and, and losing, there wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had this hatred. But the the very fact that we've finished third is a complete conundrum for some people. But they will not give up the fact that they think he's an idiot, despite us finishing third. And that, to me, that's not. Not not being discerning, you've got to just look at the way the season has progressed.
0: Well, and it's si- as intransigent as he is. It's nuts,
2: isn't it? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I
0: mean, and, and I'm not. I mean, I'm, I I wouldn't say I'm I'm, I'm hugely open minded because, you know, frankly, I I'm not really a fan of, you know, these awful kind of preordained patterns of playing, or as as Seb C says, circuits. It's not the football that I grew up with or, or like. And Yeah. Call me a, call me an old git and and living in the past. That's fine. But it's you know I know what I like and I don't like that. I like creativity, spontaneity, intuition. That those are the I mean the, some of the favourite players I've seen in the forty fifty years of watching the game have been players who can do something that you did you just didn't expect and you just go wow. You know I don't get turned on by you know seeing a preordained move well it's perhaps
2: not... you have the template of the preordained move and you try and express yourself outside it which well I... that's what which that's I'm what Guardiola see... does that's what Guardiola does yeah, yeah, it, with yeah. City and I'm beginning but to I mean, see it I'm actually seeing the, the, the germs of this happening with the team
0: yeah, but I you see this is the thing I I, I I like I've been I've been you know turned around by Kerry Dixon on this who says shut up Chidge it's not systems that win games players it's, it's players yeah and I'm inclined to agree with them and I think that I have a... Here's my theory for what it's worth. All right. God, we're going on tonight. Uh, My theory for what it's worth is that actually the split is not between match-going fans and overseas fans per se. I think the split is between people who have grown up with FIFA, whatever it is. I mean, it's 19, isn't it, at the moment? Or 18, I don't know. i never played it. It's, It's between people who do that and people who never have. Because I think that this is very much football for the FIFA 18 generation because when they played football they have complete control over all the players in terms of how they play and what they do if you've never played that it's an anathema to you and I've never played it so it's an anathema to me anyway I rest my case on that point um it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks it's Chelsea it always is now uh one of those things of course which uh we've been saying uh you know the future uh direction of the club will probably depend on is the little uh event that's happening on the 29th of May in, would you believe, Baku, which is uh, Chelsea playing Arsenal in the Europa League final. And uh, after the break, we're going to be talking about how they got there and what's going to happen. Chich JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft No more tears for you. Oh thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy I could cry. <laughs> Where
2: do I sign up, Jij?
0: Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to NordVPN.com forward slash Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's thirty day money back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box.
2: I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast, Proper
0: Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. It's Stanford Chidge here with the mellifluous Jonathan Kidd Woo. and the erudite. I've said I've already called him erudite tonight. He's obviously being very, very very, very erudite, Mr. Liam Toomey from ESPN. Now uh very uh, uh, bizarre um, week for me last week, and I missed the last home game of the season, which is unheard of for me. But uh, uh, I had a very good reason because I was at the uh, the football blogging awards, which I shall bore you about in a minute. Um, but uh, what an amazing match! I mean, the fact the thing was, I, I actually had to watch it. I, I couldn't watch it. There were no TV screens at the do, so I was actually. I have this app. I don't know if anybody else has got this app. It's called Flash Scores, which is brilliant because it's in real time. So you get all the information you need apart from seeing it. It's a bit like a modern-day version of teletext. And that's what I had, which is great until you get to the penalties when you have absolutely no idea what's going on. and you're waiting for the goal to come up either on the Chelsea side or the Frankfurt side, it was beyond unbearable. But anyway, let's have a th- talk about that match. Um, Liam, Kepper and Hazard were without doubt the penalty shootout heroes, weren't they? Um, but Chelsea made such hard work of it that whole match but they did seem to find a way and that's what i found interesting and actually that that kind of picks up from what i was saying you know in part three that it's it's players that win matches not systems and there seemed to me to be just an incredible amount of will uh to kind of negate the incompetence of, of the team to get them over the line
1: yeah definitely i mean it reminded me in in some ways of the the league cup semi against spurs which also ended up going into penalties. yeah which was just a game that you know Chelsea were only sort of infrequently in control of, but um uh, they 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 just kept battling and eventually eventually got it done. But I think what we saw was a feeling that I had going into the game, which is that they they could have won the tie in Germany they had enough yeah. opportun- they had enough opportunities in, in sort of the hour or so that they they controlled that game in Frankfurt. To score two or three away goals, and then they they just wouldn't have been in in this position as it as it was. I thought they played really well in the first half. Um, they carved Frankfurt open a, a few times. Lo- I mean, Loftus Cheek was was excellent. Uh, the, you know, the combinations developing between him, Emerson, and Hazard are, are really really slick. It's a shame that him and Hazard won't get to link up for that much longer. Um, but they they it was really impressive. And then the old second half curse. Kicked in, Chelsea didn't emerge after half time, and, and the goal they conceded was ridiculous. David Dewey's David managed to lose Luka Jovic twice, and Jovic only had to sort of shift himself one or two yards, um, and, and, and a clinical finish, what we've grown to expect from him. But from that point, the game, the game was really in the balance, and you could feel the tension at Stamford Bridge as well, because as much as maybe that. A large part of the crowd weren't necessarily invested in in Sarri. They, they, you know, they never want to see the team lose, particularly big cup semi-finals. And it it did have that sense of occasion in the end. And the, the shootout was um, sort of a, a little bit twenty twelve ish, with Chelsea missing first and uh, and and having to come back. But it it all it all ran to Hazard script in the end with a bit of help from Kepa. Kepper's
2: um, save when he just stood in the middle of the goal was very clever, because you'd um, have thought he'd have dived either right or left. The fact he stayed there, he'd either done his research or he was just he read the kick beautifully. Because you'd uh, have thought he would have dived,
0: but no, he's just stood there.
1: It was good, but it was about an inch away from being quite embarrassing because it would have yeah, just almost been hammered straight through his legs. Mm,
0: yeah. They should have they should put Macaulay goal for those kind of penalties, really. Uh, i'll let you lot work out why um yeah i mean as i said i i feel a bit bereft really because I, I i've not i've saw i haven't seen the whole match back yet let alone the penalties so i can't really comment on that but um you know mark who i've been digging out actually on Mixler because i'm very naughty but we we love mark to pieces he phones up uh the love sports show regularly i think mark's from cincinnati although he'll he'll, he'll correct me when i'm obviously wrong but he says, perception is everything. If Jose was the coach on Thursday, the team would be lauded for having the mental fortitude. I think the team, in one respect, Mark, are being lauded for having the mental fortitude for getting through. And that's kind of what I was saying. It takes a lot of mental strength to get through when you're playing shit. And I think that they were for the second half, from what I'm told anyway. It was uh, appalling, chitch, It was like pulling yeah. teeth. It was absolutely awful. Awful football. Yeah. Jesus. And I think the other thing is that the, if you want to make that comparison, uh, you know, we were a much better team then. We were a much better team then. Uh, and we, we had mental fortitude in buckets. And we are a poorer team now. And I think our mentality has been proven to be questionable. So, you know, I think it's all to do with the fact that what we have now is worse than it used to be. And that frustrates and upsets people. Um, but I think you're right. I think the reality is, you know what? We got over the line. Here's the thing. I said this on on, on Sunday. You know, at the end of the day, nobody is ever going to give a shit about this semi final. Nobody will remember it in years to come. It won't matter. It's all about getting to the final, and that's all that matters. Semi finals are there to be won. They're not there to play pretty football. Nobody will care. And here's the point, J.K. Uh, And this is something, again, I think we should be absolutely delighted about. This is our sixth. I mean, I don't care if it's the Mickey Mouse Europa final. This is our sixth European final, our 19th final in 19 years. How astonishing is that?
2: Uh, As I keep going on, um, uh, 16 trophies in 16 years, whatever it is, or 15 out of 16, in comparison with all our rivals, is despite the chaos in the club, is completely phenomenal. And something that um, we should be immensely proud of. Um, so, uh, I, but having to correct you slightly, I think the problem is, is you don't actually remember the the other finalist unless we win the final as well.
1: Well,
0: that's equally true. But you certainly don't remember the semi-final. Semi-finals, oh, no, semifinals are there to be won. Absolutely. I mean, it's the, cor- the, the the converse is also true, isn't it? Because all professionals say that it's worse to lose in a semi-final than it is to lose in the final. In some respects, because at least you've got to the final. Um, But either way, mate, you see, here's the thing, JK. You know, I was saying this earlier or or, or during the break to the peeps in Mixola. You know, I I have a very kind of Alec Ferguson attitude to football and Chelsea because we, we, we got so bloody good after most of my lifetime seeing us being bloody also rounds and irrelevant. And I mean, you know, Ferguson came in to Man United with one aim and that was to get more trophies than Liverpool had won. And 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 I'd count these down, you know. I've got this little table at home which tells you where we are in the league table of trophies. You know, how many European trophies, how many league titles, how many FA Cups, how many league cups. And, you know, winning another European trophy gets us up that table closer to the likes of, uh, of Liverpool who have got the most, possibly above United if we win this one. So, you know, uh, that's what I notice and what I care about. So... I think it's brilliant that we're in another final. And
2: also we can uh, uh, sing the John Terry song without um, Spurs having won anything, because we'll have to stop singing that one. Um, you know what I'm saying, Chich?
0: Yes, I do. Yes. I do and I won't. But I mean, you know, the, 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 the thing is, the thing is, you know, as we were kind of saying, Liam, you know, if you get to a final, uh, you've got to win it. There's no point getting to a final and not winning it in a sense. So so here's the thing, Liam. Can, can Chelsea... Well, here's the question. Can Chelsea win it and can Sarri win it? Because, of course, Sarri has yet to uh, break his duck, is he, on uh, on the trophy-winning front.
1: Well, I don't really read too much into that. I think a lot's been a lot's been made of it because he's been coaching for such a long time, but he's had a, yeah. such an unusual. If, if you manage
0: Bournemouth, you're not going to win anything, are you?
1: Well, he's had such an unusual coaching career, and he's only really been in a position to compete for trophies for exactly. maybe the last three or four. So, exactly.
0: Um,
1: I think the the bigger issue is that I don't trust either of these teams at all. I don't. Yeah, have no reason to to really trust chelsea to get it done when it matters and i have no reason to really trust arsenal what's interesting though and what really sets up this final to be to be a really intriguing one is that they're they're unreliable in different ways um arsenal have the one thing that chelsea lack which is two really good goal scorers but they're but they're horribly lacking uh i don't think their defence is anywhere near as good as chelsea's Uh, midfield I think Chelsea's is is probably better especially when Kante's fit anyway Uh, and they don't have uh, Arsenal don't have any single individual as talented as Hazard but it it is yeah it's a really hard one to call purely because there are so many obvious flaws in both teams the one thing you can maybe say is that rather than looking at Sarri's lack of a track record for silverware looking at Emery's pretty remarkable record of success in the Europa League and saying that that could be an advantage for Arsenal. Um, Fuck's sake. Sorry. <laughs> what, what was that? It's my eye. J- I- your- J- JK, turned J-K you've, you've had a mare tonight. You've had I
0: have. Sure. you have. Uh, you're having a, a higwain moment, mate. <laughs> got to be, be said. Sorry, son, but you're higwain
2: <laughs> I am shit. I know it.
0: So, uh, sorry, Liam, uh, I can't remember where we were. Well, basically, uh, I
1: don't I don't trust either, either of these teams right. and I can't call it.
0: Yeah. i tell you what I think would be fantastic, both of you, really, uh, and maybe I need to dream this up, but uh, uh, it would be great to see, because I think he he's bound to start. I mean, there's been a lot, you know, you're both talking about the fact we don't have any strikers, yada, 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 but it'd be great to, I think he'll pick Giroud for the final. If he picks Higuain, I'm going to shoot myself, but... <laughs> Uh, if he picks Giroud, it would be wonderful shithousery for Giroud to score the winner against Arsenal, of course, wouldn't it?
1: It, it would be. And um, yeah, I mean, Giroud is kind of, he's been asked about when when Chelsea had met Arsenal before, he's been asked about whether it is particularly emotional for him. And he's never really, to be honest, he's never really spoken particularly emotive about it. He's clearly got some connection. Some He still feels some connection to Arsenal, but equally I think he probably feels a little bit of injustice that he was never properly rated there. I think there was always an element when he was at Arsenal that people focused almost entirely on the things he couldn't do rather than all the things that Giroud does bring to a team. And he's, he's, he's not and he's never been an elite goal scorer or even necessarily a consistently reliable one. But what he does do, which is especially, you know, that Murata didn't do earlier in the season, and Higuain hasn't done since he arrived. Is all the little things that make life easier for those around him, that make that make life a little bit easier for Hazard and for Willian and for for the midfield runners like Loftus Cheek. You know, he his movement is good. His his layoffs and link-up play are absolutely top class. I think he's one. He's genuinely one of the best strikers at that in the world. That's the one thing he's great at. Um, and if he and if he performs. You know, if he, if he can conjure a, a really, really good Giroud performance, then then Chelsea can be a very, very dangerous team. But equally, it's it, it's easy to see a way this game pans out where Chelsea maybe have the better of it, but don't take their chances and Arsenal are more ruthless because they've got two guys who can actually stick the ball in the net.
0: That's very true. Of course, there's the other thing about this chaps, Jonathan in particular. Um, you know, we also have Hazard, Hazard's last hurrah. He loves playing against Arsenal. And wouldn't it be lovely to see him going out, uh, having had a man-of-the-match performance and stuffed the arse again?
2: Of course, it's the perfect opportunity for him. And, and it's his, he doesn't need to say goodbye anywhere better than in a European final, does he? He can uh, oh, Exactly. That can be his, his last hurrah for the team. I mean, I was always wondering, what, trying to work out what his contract would be at Real Madrid and whether Chelsea could have an option to getting him back if he only
0: spends two years there. Maybe or is a flop? Yeah. Is a flop? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe. Wouldn't there be a wonderful symmetry about it? Wouldn't there? We win the Champions League, which means Hazard signs for us next year. We win the Europa League, do you bugger all in the in the Champions League thereafter, and then he gets us into the Champions League, and then helps us win the Europa League, and then goes to Real Madrid. I think that be be quite a nice thing. Well, I mean, the, I think the other thing that we should also talk about really here, and I think this kind of has relevance in terms of, uh, you know, what we were talking about in the previous part about. Uh, whether Sarri might be at risk if we lose and I think the other thing to factor in Liam of course is this is Arsenal so this is one of the teams that we you know do not want to lose against because they are rivals and to lose to Arsenal in a Europa League final in my opinion would be about a hundred times worse than it was losing to Man United in the Champions League final and we all know
1: how awful that was. Well, and worse than it probably would have been to lose to Frankfurt on penalties. <laughs> well, yeah if, it, yeah, if it ends up being that way, I think a lot of Chelsea fans would probably uh, regret Chelsea getting to the final in the first place. But that—that's why I said earlier that I think the 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 only way the Europa League final could really uh, play into the decision Chelsea make about Sari is that if it if it goes badly wrong and really ends the ends the season on a on a horribly sour note. Um, otherwise, I think you know if it's if it's a really close game and Arsenal, you know, win on penalties or something. I think that's it. People will be disappointed, but I think that's perfectly survivable. But uh, as ever with football, it's it's not just what the result is; it's it's how how you get there that conditions the way people feel about it.
0: Absolutely right. Uh, and losing to Arsenal is a no-no, particularly. I mean, I I remember the FA Cup final. I've I've, I've rarely felt so gutted. After a final loss, than I was when we just didn't turn up against Arsenal. And we had the chance to do the double, but anyway, um, Jonathan, um, you know I know you talked about this on the uh, Love Sports Show, but the the whole Frankfurt fans. I mean, we're going to cover this in an email later, so we might talk about it then. But just very quickly, because I want to get Liam's input on it. Uh, but the Frankfurt fans were uh, had taken over your area in 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 the mid, in the East Middle. There were loads of them in the West Lower, something that we will refer to later. What on earth was going on? It's crazy, isn't it?
2: Well, it was appalling, but they sold
0: them deliberately. Um, It wasn't a case of them taking
2: the tickets over uh, or people giving their their seats away because people just don't need to apply for them because these are seats that uh, cost extra outside the season ticket. So it's not as if um, Chelsea supporters were making money out of it. It was the club that was making money, and the club had no bones about selling any of the packages or any of the seats to any any German supporter who came in, because they were undersubscribed because of the the uh, the Surrey situation with people being so unenthusiastic about him. Many people don't want to come and watch Chelsea anymore. And so the, the possibility didn't matter, it was a, a, a semi-final of a European competition. They just didn't apply for the tickets. So Chelsea had only half the tickets sold. So Chelsea did what, in a sense, you would expect them to do, to make a financial gain from it. They sold them to somebody anybody who came in and offered money. And it just so happened that, for example, where I sit, 1,300 German supporters got tickets bloody hell 1300 that's crazy uh, but that was because you know it was a package and they got a drink with it and uh you know it was all along champions aussies um executive every single area had german supporters in it and the stewards consequently because they would paid good money were told not to do anything about it at all and the steward i spoke to said my hands have been tied by the hierarchy, didn't use that word, but by the orders he was given was to let them get on with it and let them cheer and bounce up and down. And of course, guess what happened. Chelsea supporters don't want to be surrounded by uh, opposition supporters, which led to confrontations and fights, even in mm. even in my area. And it was um, it, it's something that the trouble is, if you complain about it from previous experience, Everybody ignores it. I complained about um, Marcus Alonso being called a murderer by Tottenham fans and then followed up by Spurs fans and even even a banner being being lifted up saying he was a murderer. And I was told, I don't know what you're talking about. We haven't seen it. And so I thought, well, next time it happens, I must take a photograph and I'll show it to you. So they have very selective memory when it comes to these things or desire to prosecute, particularly when they're making a profit. And they made a huge profit from this chidge because it was it was practically full. It wasn't quite full, but nonetheless, it's forty thousand. So they've made the money that they wanted to make from it. So mm. ultimately, security went out of the window for profit in this instance.
1: What do you think of that, Liam? Yeah, that's very interesting to listen to because clearly, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm not as plugged into the the way the ticketing works for games as you guys are because I don't have to go through the process of getting tickets for games um, but that that is very interesting and it's and it's it doesn't really paint Chelsea in a very good light if they if they are prioritizing profit over over safety but, I mean given given the scale of the police operation outside the stadium to to manage the the Frankfurt fans I mean I, I watched it beforehand because a, a whole group of Frankfurt ultras had started marching from Leicester Square down past Buckingham Palace to the stadium uh, it took I think it took them about 90 minutes in total and and the police operation was huge around them they they, they marshalled them all the way to the stadium they stopped them just uh, just past the bridge on on Fulham Road and brought them through in in little groups of of 100 and all of this obviously was for the aim of minimizing the chances of any of any disruption or any um, any disorder with with Chelsea fans, and then to you know to go to all that trouble outside the stadium, and then and then have actually a, a conscious business decision inside the stadium to have rival fans next to each other doesn't doesn't seem very smart to me at all, um, mm. and and especially given the way you know they they had a, an insight into the way the Frankfurt fans were in the first leg, you know that they, they didn't they I didn't I didn't get any reports of violence from from the first leg of that tie. Um, mainly, maybe because there were only about a, th- a thousand Chelsea fans out there anyway. They didn't even sell out their allocation. But the Frankfurt fans are hugely passionate. They're never ever going to hide the fact that they're openly supporting their team, regardless of what part of the stadium they're in. So it's, it's a bit like when Arsenal played Cologne, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I and I and I, I remember it at full time in in the game. Um, obviously, the away fans were kept behind, as is standard. Protocol on these on the on these big European nights, and all the Frankfurt fans in the in the West Stand opposite the press yeah. box stayed as well, and they did a big call and response singing for about fifteen mm. to twenty minutes, and 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 that exposed just how many of them had been in that stand because yeah. everyone else had gone.
0: Indeed, well, you know the Germans—they like a bit of marching and they like a bit of call and response. So there you go. Uh, I'm sure... I mean, I know the Trust has got involved in complaining about that, so there you go. Uh, And I can't really tell you anything more until we get some sort of an answer. Anyway, um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, obviously, is this this damn thing is is in Baku, something that the Trust has also been uh, involved with. Um, An appalling... I mean, a derisory ticket allocation, and arguably one of the most impractical, stupid locations for a European final of all time. Which is adding to a huge uh, monetary burden to the hard, uh, you know, the, the much fleeced supporters, who of course, you know, treat going to a European final as a as a as a must do thing, and will go to any lengths to go, and and will sell their grandmother to go. But it puts a huge amount of pressure on them. Um, it's an absolute, it's an absolute farce, and I think UEFA really need an absolute shoeing for this, Liam, because. They're they're, they're, what they came out with. And I mean, Richard Conway uh, kind of put it up on Twitter, didn't he? Richard Conway writes for the BBC? Or is he the Guardian? He's the BBC. The BBC anyway. Yeah, I mean, people out there might have might have seen it, but um, their excuse for it, just absolutely laughable. Um, I don't think there's anything we can do per se. I mean, we've moaned like stink, but it's awful,
1: isn't it? yeah it was it, the the reasoning was astonishing basically the they didn't think Baku airport could handle that many uh for foreign fans coming in for for such a big event and which which which, are, it. which begs the immediate question why did you give it to Baku in the first place but well exactly but the, the other exactly. thing the other thing that struck me as well is obviously the the allocation to each club of so just under 6,000 tickets is is laughable and and a, a real affront to a real affront to football, really, because it, it wouldn't have mattered which which clubs, which countries they were from, um, got to the final. The whole point about these major occasions is that you want you want a big atmosphere, and you want the people that care most about the clubs involved to be there. And, and if you you've got a stadium that seats nearly seventy thousand, and at least in theory, we know in practice that a lot more Chelsea and Arsenal fans will be there, albeit probably not ones from England. Um, there'll be ones from the surrounding countries and the local supporters' clubs and, and whatever. Um it there's there's a decent chance it won't create the same the same sort of atmosphere. And it, it does sadden me that a lot of really hardcore um yeah. Chelsea away fans who I have immense respect for because I have no idea how they do what they do, <laughs> the amount of time and money that they they spend to follow Chelsea um Chelsea domestically and, and abroad is is absolutely incredible. Uh, the, the fact that even some of them might not be able to make this is is quite sad. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the other astonishing thing was I saw Chelsea publish the ticket information uh, a couple of hours ago, the sort of detailed breakdown, and part of the allocation of restricted view seats.
0: Oh, you're joking. This, Seriously?
1: The, yeah, I don't, I don't know the precise numbers because it didn't say in the article the, the precise numbers that are restricted view and, and which ones aren't. But this is a 70,000-seater stadium that has hosted international events you know f- 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 football and other sports and was only completed in 2015 and it has restricted view seats i find that incredible absolutely incredible and, and even more incredible that they've given a major european final to a stadium like this well
0: they've stuck us in one of the corners basically on two tiers and i suspect that there's a big overhang mm. so kind of a joint so imagine imagine where i sit in the matthew harding uh, you know, right on the edge of the East Upper. So I'd imagine it's kind of like that, but a lot. Well, actually, probably the best uh, description really would be uh, the Shed End and the West Stand, wouldn't it? Because the Shed End's quite low, and the West Upper is much higher. So it could be something like that. Just, just I've I've actually got their, their kind of you know map of the stadium up on my phone now. So well, that's and, appalling. And
1: and the top category of restricted view tickets is still nearly a hundred pounds. Yeah,
0: hundred and twenty-one quid. It's an absolute farce. We're not going to answer it now, but we needed to register our disgust. I mean, uh, Liam, are you prepared to share your mental route out there to get to this match?
1: <laughs> well, I've uh, yeah, I booked my flights today. Um, there, it, it's it. Shall we say a scenic route around Europe? <laughs> um, I'm flying from.
0: You're going via camel. I'm
1: travelling out on the Monday and travelling back on the Friday, so basically a whole week. Um, but wow. I'm traveling Monday, London to Kiev, and then Kiev to Tbilisi in Georgia, and then getting the, the the short sort of one hour flight from Tbilisi to Baku, getting there in the early hours of Tuesday morning, and then on the Friday on the way back um, again because of the total direct flights, uh, I'm I'm flying from Baku to Moscow, then Moscow to Berlin and Berlin to London.
0: Wow, Liam, that is insane. Uh, I presume... Oh, good luck as well. And well done for making the effort to cover it for us. That's absolutely quality. Jonathan, I'm presuming you're not going to make this one.
2: Well, I've been offered the opportunity. uh, And it's very tempting because it would just be a day. Wow. Yeah. It takes a day to get there. What are you talking about? I know, but it would still only be with time restrictions. You still get back 8.30 the following morning. Um, so uh, it's feasible but I'm in um, uh, I tried to get a ticket even though I I get access to away tickets but um, my standing is such that I was about 20 minutes past midday which was the deadline and I was sent back I said is it still possible to apply for a ticket and I got back the deadline has passed I'm afraid we are unable to assist you which I thought was um, uh, how can I put it Um, terse to say the least
0: um you you will get if you want a ticket, you'll get a ticket, mate. Well no, somebody's offered me one. I've got a I've got a room in, in a four-star hotel if you want one. No, I, I can't I can't stay the night. Okay. But thank
2: you. It's lovely. No, I, Bre- to,
0: breakfast I is it Breakfast is included. I have
2: to oh that's I'll be do it then. No, no. I have to um I have to get back <laughs> as soon as possible.
0: Amazing. I'd be amazed if you did that. My, I tell you what, mate, if you made it out there. My respect for you, which is already huge and enormous, as you well know. It will go through the roof if you manage to do that. Um, I haven't even made one away game this year, so I, I've had a bit of a Higuain this season. I, I like the fact that we're now going to use hegwain as an adjective to describe anything that's absolutely shocking and shit. I do like that. We're going to use this forever on the fancast from now. But I've had a Hegwain this season because I've been so busy doing work and stuff that I have not made a, a an away game, so uh, Baku is, is, apart from the huge, ridiculous expense, I can't take that amount of time off work, which is another reason why it's a ridiculously stupid place to have a final just because Baku have put a lot of money in UEFA's hands, because this is how it works, because I was hearing the other week, because, of course, Baku had a Formula One meet out there a few weeks ago, and the only reason they had the Formula One out there was because they paid uh, the whoever runs F1 nowadays uh, I think they paid more money for the Baku Grand Prix than any other Grand Prix venue pays anywhere else. So that's what it's about. As always, it's about the money, and it stinks. Right, enough before I explode. Uh, we're going to have part four in a minute, which is, as always, the parish notices and some superb emails. But before we do that, we're going to say goodbye to the wonderful Liam Toomey, who's been fantastic tonight, because I'm going to let him uh, have a, you know, at least half an hour off, because we're so over budget on time. I, I, In good conscience, I couldn't keep him any longer. Liam, you've been brilliant. Thanks, as ever, mate. Hopefully, I'll catch up with you soon.
1: Always a pleasure, guys. Night, night. Well done, Liam. Yeah.
0: Take care, mate. Good to see you. Thanks again. Right, we'll uh, me and Jonathan will be seeing you guys in a minute. Real fans, real opinions.
2: I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Football
0: Welcome back, I'm for Chich, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast, and we're into part four now, uh, the home straight. It's been a long show tonight, we might break the record tonight, you never know. Anyway, uh, a few parish notices. First thing I'm going to talk about is the football blogging awards. I went to that on Thursday, which is why I missed the um, you know, the Europa League semi, which is a bloody inconvenience, but i already booked the hotel, so I thought I won't dodge it. Uh, I have to report, you probably already know this already, but we did not win. Close but no cigar. We made our fourth final out of seven football blogging awards, which is pretty good. We've won two out of four now, but we didn't win. Uh, and the reason we didn't win is, I think, because it's changed utterly from uh, how it used to be. And uh, one thing I noticed as I sat there trying to get the Chelsea score on my phone uh, was that the whole—it's become a business, man. You know, there's there's kids who basically their entire dream ambition is to is to be a bloody vlogger you know put their ugly mugs talking bollocks on on a phone uh, And i mean i know i'm bitchy about this but I, I worked in television for 25 years so i do understand i know it doesn't sound like it on the fan cast but i do actually understand how to make quality content particularly tv uh but there you go the world has changed it, i i'm now decided jonathan that we are now like radio 4 basically and uh and and everybody else is kind of i don't know radio Radio one well i suppose so yeah that's that's exactly bang on mate yeah we're radio four they're all radio one uh we're probably the goon show i think if we're radio four that's one for the teenagers so yeah it's moved on but actually the reality so the the whole kind of you know theme of the evening was lots of young people i felt really old actually Uh, it was a bit weird actually it's it's the weirdest football blogging awards i've been to i have i have to be honest it's a great event. I mean, it's really hugely grown in scale. It's massively impressive. Everybody who is everybody in the football blogging world is there. Um, but that is not the reason why we lost. We didn't lose because we are old and irrelevant. Uh, we lost because Arsenal Fan TV cleaned up house. They won everything of note, which, of course, is no surprise because, well, you might be surprised, but I'll, I'll explain to you why you shouldn't be. Um they basically uh, are a professional outfit. They do it for a living. All of them. Robbie uh, pays everybody who's on there, and they do. They make a nice. Li- I tell you, they make a nice living out of it. It's professionally run. They run it like I would run a, and I have run channels before. So you know, they run it how I would do that. Um, as a result, they've got um, about a million subscribers on YouTube. And three hundred followers, three hundred thousand followers on social media. The the, the barefaced uh, truth of this, people, is it you cannot compete with that. It's a bit like you know we'd we'd be like uh, uh, kind of I don't know, it'd be like Sheffield Wednesday or, or, or trying to compete with Man City. It's just not going to happen, and I'm very sad about it. But that's the way it is. I actually think that they should be in a different category, but that's just me. And it, but I tell you what saddens me most, though, my bitter little rant that I'm making here is that. Um, you know, I cannot understand. Well, you know, the, the Arsenal fan TV success is really down to the fact that actually there are there are as many, possibly more, uh, people who watch it who are not fans of Arsenal watching it because they make such dicks of themselves as there are Arsenal fans. Most Arsenal fans I know, proper fans, you know, like us, like equivalents of us, if you like, absolutely hate and deride it. They hate it. Most Arsenal supporters cannot stand it. They think it's an embarrassment. But Robbie's a smart guy and he knows, he knows that that's what will get viewers and that's what's happened. So we lost. I'm very sad about it. I'm most sad about the fact that we didn't win it for you guys. That's the real truth because I know how hard you lot all work by getting behind us and voting for (coughs) us, which is just unbelievably beautiful of you, for which I love you all absolutely manically. Um, But, you know, I'm afraid it wasn't to be and that is why... Uh, and I mean, just to compound this, Arsenal Fan TV won the best podcast, but Troops won an award. Troops, you get me, fam? I mean, that clown, unbelievable, Mister DT, absolute plonker that he is. He won an award, so you know the the, the you know the game has gone, football's gone. The game has gone with that as well. I fear so. I might not even bother entering next year because it's just pointless if those muppets are going to win. And they 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 can you know they got you know more clout than we have in terms of getting social media to vote. Anyway, enough of me being bitter and twisted. But I just really wanted to. And exactly, Glide like Bogus said, they're not even a flaming podcast. It's like uh, you know, Mr. DT and Robbie being filmed uh you know talking to each other that is that's a youtuber that's not podcast he's dead right anyway stop me now before i explode i just really wanted to say thank you to you guys for getting behind us as ever Uh, the reality is we don't need awards to know how good we are we know how good we are because you lot listen and you tell us and that's why we love doing it and that's why we love you so thank you for your support right paul burgess uh i've been plugging this for a while Uh, His son is trying to raise enough money to go to Tanzania, as I like to call it. Tanzania in July. Uh, And this is really so he can do good, good kind of community works out there. Um, He's got a presence on GoFundMe, GoFundMe gofundme.com. So go and search Ben039S and you should find it. Uh, and I I will, I have put it up on Twitter. I will do it again. But if you can support him, it would be great. Uh, and, of course, Patreon, uh, you know, uh, you can support us too, uh, as well as voting for us. You can you can bung us a bit of money every month. It uh, just helps to cover the costs, really. It won't buy me a Bentley like uh, Robbie has for doing Arsenal fan TV. But, you know, it's just a nice show of appreciation, and it's utterly voluntary. You don't have to. I won't be offended if you don't at all. I will still love you just as much. If you want to do it, though, um, you just go to p- Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot forward slash Chelsea Fancast. And as ever, and I'm, time is short, so I won't give them the full plug. Well done to CFC UK for another fantastic season of fanzines. Um, if you haven't subscribed to it by now, you're missing a treat. If you can't get to uh, the games, where you can always buy at the CFC UK store. but uh, if you follow at Only a Pound on Twitter, you'll see how you can subscribe to it. I commend you to do so. And of course, that also applies to uh the Chelsea Supporters Trust join up and be a member of the trust it's 5 quid a year very easy to do just go to chelseasupporterstrust.com and uh you can find out how to do that you don't have to pay you can join for free but it just means you can't vote in the elections or go to the meetings so uh it's only a fiver so you know it's not a lot uh so do that and of course don't forget to get a CPO share if you haven't got one either uh and uh, again just go to the Chelsea's website and whack in pitch owners and you'll you'll find the relevant bit there where you can apply for a share cost you about 40 quid It protects Chelsea uh, playing at Stamford Bridge forever. That's the idea. Right, enough of my plugging and stuff. It's time for some fantastic emails, actually. We've got some crackers uh, tonight. And the first one, uh, I owe a huge huge apology to the young man who sent this in because, uh, as I explained to his lovely mother, who uh, is in the house, or she was earlier, the lovely Claire McConnell, Um, Tim McConnell sent his email in so early that I didn't scroll down far enough by the time I got to putting him in the show. So I missed it, and I'm terribly sorry. The, the reality is, though, is that Tim's email is now even more relevant this week than it was last week. So there we go, bit of serendipity, but thank you, Tim. And he says, Jonathan, he says this. He says, Hi, Chidge, JK, and the gang. I'm a Chelsea supporter writing to you from Toronto, Canada. I was introduced to both the club and the podcast by my mother, Claire who has written into the show before and is also quite active on the Chelsea chat site and Twitter. I have no idea what state our season will be in when you read this, but wanted to give my thoughts. On the comparison of Conte and Sarri, we're in a slightly better league position than last year and could yet win a trophy. But I'd hesitate to say that we've improved. Despite winning the FA Cup, Conte had effectively given up on the club in January, and the latter half of the season was an unmitigated disaster. Sarri is still committed, but his results have been largely the same. I tend to think that this reflects badly on Sarri, as he's hardly been able to improve upon the results of a manager who basically quit his job four months before the season ended. Similarly, on the comparison of Sarri to either Guardiola or Klopp, Guardiola finished his first season at City in third with 78 points. Klopp finished his first season at Liverpool in eighth with 60 points, but was at a disadvantage as he took over from Brendan Rodgers in October. Sarri will certainly surpass Klopp's first season league position and may well still top Guardiola's, but I think that this is misleading. Guardiola arrived with a plan and with a level of respect for the quality of the league. Klopp also has his own footballing philosophy, but both were able to adapt to the demands of a new environment and made tactical and personnel changes when necessary. Sarri, by contrast, has made no attempt to do anything other than plan A, and as a result, we've regressed since the beginning of the season. He was given no indication that he would be able to improve if given more time and, in all likelihood, would just get worse. Higuain, who is shit, is, emb- yeah, exactly, is emblematic, of, emblematic of this. Who could possibly believe that a 31-year-old striker who was unfit and generally useless at his previous club would be able to adapt to an unfamiliar and exceptionally physical league in January? More than that, who in their right mind would continue to play someone so obviously inept? Frankly, on the on the question of Frank, oh sorry, not frankly, Freudian slip. Finally, on the question of Frank returning to the bridge as a manager next year, Chidge obviously wrote a great article on this, and I haven't much to add, other than that I'm completely torn. My heart warms as I think of him on the touchline. But I do worry that it's too soon. I agree with you, actually, Tim. The leap from the Championship to the Premier League is huge for a player, and I imagine that it would just be—it would be just as difficult, if not more so, for a manager. Hiring Frank and Jody, which I believe will happen at some point, would represent a seismic shift for the club. We seem to risk—sorry—we uh, seem to be a risk-averse operation at the moment, and I fear that if it goes poorly, we might not make another attempt to hire another Chelsea legend with relatively little managerial experience, i.e., J.T. Having said that, and given Frank and Jody's ability to work with young players, a transfer ban would lower expectations and play to their strengths. In the event that we do receive a ban, I'd hire them in a heartbeat. Without a ban, I'd be a bit more apprehensive, but would still fully support the decision if it were to happen. Pretty much along the lines I said in the article, I think, Tim. Anyway, thanks for the wonderful work that you do, and keep the blue flag flying high, Tim. Uh, And I have to say, Jonathan, what an extremely well-written email how old is this young man i I don't know claire will probably tell us she'll pop it on mixler in a minute i bet you 13 he knows more than we do well i mean i'm not just what he knows but i just thought it was beautifully written as well yeah yeah yeah. better better understanding of the english language
2: than either you or i as well so um i'm i'm intrigued actually by what he says hiring uh frank and jody in a heartbeat because i wonder in fact if there is the trump the transfer ban and uh Surrey has to work with kids, whether they would be more receptive to his ideas than um, the old current jailbirds that we have who've been playing, um, as Liam said, uh, have been reluctant to change the defensive views that they have because they've won titles playing that way. So you never know that it may work. It might work even with Sarri if he stays on. If we get a transfer ban, if he can uh, get the kids to play the way that he wants to, I'd be intrigued to see if Mason Mount could take on board exactly what is required. Because it might be that he's, you know, becomes top banana there.
0: Mm, well, we shall see. Yeah. We shall see. Um, yeah, I mean the Frank and Jodie thing is interesting. You know, oh, blimey, Claire's piped up. There we go he's 30 and yes he does write nicely doesn't he you can just tell i can i can the pride is oozing out of claire i can feel it uh, chip off the old block she thinks smugly to herself well I, I think that's absolutely true as well claire and lovely to hear from you and i apologize for uh missing out on it and well done for reminding me because i it would have it would have slipped through the net and that would have been a tragedy. Great email. Uh, uh, right, a couple for JK now. Uh, one absolutely relating to him and what was going on, and the other one absolutely relating to him and what was going on. How about that? I love it.
2: Nigel Bird. I know this is going to be a hot topic for debate tonight,
0: but I can only echo the thoughts of
2: JK on the Love Sport radio show Friday the 10th of May. But to add to that, as his real thoughts were probably reined in due to a more public broadcast, what a fucking disgrace by those members who sold their tickets to the invaders. Could this have been part of an organised protest against the club? Printed tickets needed to be shifted pretty quickly onto the touts as tickets were sent out in the post no more than a week prior to the match itself. The attached link to the YouTube clip clip, fast forward 9.51 to see the sheer numbers hanging around inside the ground, especially in the West Lower well after the match. The Frankfurt players were taking the applause from their fans in front of the shed for quite some time. But then, as they were walking back to the tunnel, realised there were fans in the West Lower and duly obliged to take their applause too. The Daily Mail online only covered a very small amount covering this whole debacle. It was worse than that. Cheers, Nige, who is Happy Bird in Mixler. Um, um, good good mail, Nige, but the, the uh, I think, as I said, the, the thing about it was, I don't think that they sold their tickets to touts, though I have to say some people obviously did because the touts were out in, in their hundreds and the police were just standing by doing nothing. But in this instance, they just didn't buy their tickets. And it was the fact that the tickets were available that meant that the the, the German fans could then buy them. And yeah, well, that was in your area, though, wasn't it? No, no, no. This is in this is in other areas, Chidge. This is in other areas, my area in particular well, the,
0: would the they, they the wouldn't have bought tickets for the for the West Stand, for example from the club why is that? I wouldn't don't they, wouldn't
2: they have just gone up on the website
0: well I would be amazed because you know unless they were on general sale
2: yeah no, that they fair. were on ge- wouldn't they have done that wouldn't they have gone on general sale if they hadn't been able to shift them because you know no not
0: you, not always you don't buy them I mean, they're, 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 they're not part of your season ticket no, I know that, but this is why we have segregation, you know? I mean, they don't usually do that because they don't want, you know, a, a away fans sitting with the, with the home well, fans this is because my point. of the trouble. But
2: how would this then have taken place? They can't have all gone to town. People selling them on. Yeah, I'm not convinced that's the case. I think the
0: club well, just... I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know the club are furious about it. Oh, that's the club are know. furious,
2: even though this... Oh, yeah. Well, because it was a box office error then. It just strikes me
0: as being... Um, I well, know. I, no, I, I, I don't, I don't think, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that the club knowingly sold tickets to Frankfurt fans. It's absolutely one hundred and fifty percent against their policy. Well, they, they so, did, my, my, did my, s- in my, area. my s- yeah, well, yeah, but yours is a bloody hospitality area. That's different. Well They won't, yeah, no, it is different because they stupidly think that away fans sitting up there paying a oodles of money are all posh and aren't going to have a scrap. Yes, that's their stupidity. Everywhere else, you are treated like a criminal. So they're not going to sell them to fans because if they did, UEFA would absolutely do that. If there had been, for example, there must have been what? A thousand Frankfurt fans in the West Lower in, the, in that in yeah. the clip that I've yeah, seen? at least. Right. Imagine if there had been an off there. Yeah. A thousand Frankfurt fans, it would have been mental. And UEFA would have absolutely kicked the club's ass. So there's no way that they are going to be selling, general sale or otherwise, directly to away fans. So those tickets, I am sure have gone into the away fans uh you know hands because they've basically been sold on
2: all well, right yeah I, either
0: touts yeah. Or, or directly i mean who who knows i don't know because i don't know, I don't know well, but that that's my sense. suspicion yeah 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 but it's still, N- N- it's still
2: pernicious that because my area although hospitality area parts of it towards the end uh, you know is cheap hospitality so um you're bound to get people um buying all those up because you know it's it's 90 quid i think or 100 quid on the end there, so, you know.
0: I, I, also, I also suspect that they, I don't know, you, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it might work differently for you, I don't know, but I have a suspicion that maybe an agency was involved with the purchasing of those tickets. Yeah, so maybe yeah, it wasn't, good yeah, point, it wasn't, yeah, absolutely. It w- wasn't, yeah. I doubt if it was the club directly because they're getting into all sorts of trouble for this shit from you, Well, no, yet the very fact, know. the complicity of the stewards who told me we have been told not to
2: interfere, they were completely aware... Oh, and he said to me thirteen hundred seats have been so, have been yeah. sold to German yeah. fans. That's yeah. just and the, the reason, steward told me that. So he knew so they were in on it.
0: <clears throat> yeah, but they, they knew they would they'd been told not to engage because actually that can be that can incite more trouble yeah, than true. not. That's true,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So that that would be why, and I suspect that that accounted for everywhere else. But as Nigel says, there were definitely scraps in the West Lower, and I know you said there were scraps up where you yeah, were. there were. And this is exactly why you know the, the club don't don't you know deliberately do this because that's what happens. It's football, it's territorial, and you are in our territory, and you're going to get a slap. That's how it works. Uh, but there you go. Anyway, uh, sorry about that, Nigel. Um, you know, I know the trust have definitely been have taken this up with the club as you expect. I mean, when we get any news that I can tell you, I will tell you. Anyway, next email, Jonathan.
2: Gareth Bloomfield. Hey, guys, just a quick email from the other side of the world. Wet and windy Wellington, New Zealand. Really love the podcast. Enjoy the perspective on things. However, lately, it's becoming more and more frustrating to listen to. Can someone please stop Jonathan Kidd from talking? Too late. It's too late, mate, yeah. He's got worse and worse for talking over people. Chidge, interrupt quickly. Quickly. No. And ranting on and on unfortunately it's making it more and more frustrating to listen to the show a perfect example of this would be friday's love sports show you only have to listen for the first six minutes to see the point i'm making i basically turned it off after about six minutes well you missed a lot there gareth because we got onto lots of good subjects and dan was on fire
0: in, he shut up after that sorry i'm interrupting it in is yeah, jonathan shut up in after his excitement that. to tell everyone his point of view
2: <laughs> he just cuts everyone off don't get me wrong, I do enjoy listening to him. Oh, thanks, Gareth. But there is a point where it becomes annoying. Yes, I understand. Talking over people and interrupting. Sorry, I don't want to be the negative guy. You're not. I'm really bad. I really do do enjoy listening to the show, but lately it's become a sore point. Anyway, up the Chels, Gareth Bloomfield. Wellington, New Zealand, you bastard. So anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, no problem, no problem. I, I, I have to say I'm not convinced that this is the case but um uh i'm sure you're correct uh, and from now on i won't say anything i uh i,
0: Shut uh, up, uh, well, what, I haven't finished. well what what can i say i mean I, i'll be honest with you gareth i i, I was going to reply to you by email but i i roared laughter so much when i read the email that I, I i i i thought we had to have it in the show and particularly to get jonathan to read it out um uh, do you know what my what i i will i will make one observation because i actually did listen to the the friday love sports show because i wasn't on it i couldn't get to london so I, I listened to it at home as as jonathan knows and uh the the two observations that i will make are that when jonathan and dan are together it is that's when it is at its worst they they basically both talk over each other and interrupt each other uh uh, I think you know well I don't know why they just do they like we they... have completely opposite views of the club chief. Yeah yeah okay so there's a bit of that but the other thing I noticed uh is that it doesn't happen when I'm on the show. You know you behave yourself when I'm on there. But part of it is because Dan believes that he's a fag eating fraud. You know so So I could hear you I could hear you because you know what you know when somebody wants to interrupt they kind of emit some sort of a sound not a whole word often, but a sound out of their mouth. And I could hear you both doing it to each other. I was I was I was actually roaring with laughter. I didn't turn it off, Gareth. I more stomach than you clearly, but I I could hear that. But actually do you know what? Here's the thing, Gareth, um you know, and Jonathan knows this very well, as do I, is that if Jonathan or Dan or me even I have been known to interrupt and talk over people too, you know, it's not just Jonathan and Dan. Uh, but uh, if if that's happening on a particularly on a, radio, a live radio show, and especially if it happens when a guest phones up, because I think you know I've always was told that when a, a, a you know a radio uh, you know somebody phones in, or you've got like Liam or or Dom Firefoot on you 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 have to be really careful about when I mean you know if they're going on for bloody ever, you interrupt them, and you just have to be rude. But generally, you give them the airtime, you give them the space. But actually, as Jonathan Well knows, as do I that is the job of the presenter to have a quiet word and say don't talk over each other you know so you can't really really blame Jonathan and Dan per se because they're just doing what they're asked to do which is to come on a show and talk am I right and the
2: producer too the producer should be putting that in the ear of the presenter to say to both of us actually you're talking over each other
0: absolutely right and you know, John, Johnny. Johnny's brilliant, actually. I mean, we're, you know, we're, I, I, I don't mean to speak for Jonathan, but, um, but we've both talked about it, actually. And we, we really like working with Johnny. We think he's fantastic. Is that right, JK? Yeah, he's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. yeah. He's a good presenter, actually, yep. and he's a lovely bloke. And he's very bright, and he's interesting to, to work with. Uh, but he's a lot younger than Jonathan and I. And, you know, Jonathan and me, or Jonathan and Dan in full flow, can be quite a challenge for anybody. So I, I can understand why he hasn't quite had the gumption to say, Oi, stop! Because, you know, on here, I mean, when I'm presenting this this edition of the show, when it gets out of hand, I'm, I'm not averse to shouting at them and saying, Oi, shut up! You know, and it works. But you see, you know, I've known Jonathan for a long time and everybody who, who's on this show is a mate of mine and I can kind of get away with it. Whereas uh, poor old Johnny probably doesn't feel he can do that. I suspect he'd do it in a very polite and charming way, wouldn't he, JK? Yeah, he would. Yeah, he would indeed. But Gareth, I, I mean, I hope we haven't embarrassed you by reading the email out. But, you know, I, we we take all emails, whether they're they're positive or, in your words, negative. It's all good. We've got broad shoulders. We can take it and hopefully we learn from it. And we will try harder to not talk over each other on this show, let alone the Friday show uh, and uh, I will encourage Johnny and whoever's producing it to tell us to shut up when he needs to. It'd be lovely for me to be told to shut up for a change, and you'd probably all be grateful for that. Okay, but not until after I've read this next email, eh, Jonathan? Absolutely. And this is a cracker. What a lovely way to end this week, in fact, uh, from the lovely uh, Monyaki Moikangoa, who has been listening to this show for a long time, and uh, I consider him a, a friend. He says, howdy, True Blues. Uh, a short one from me from South Africa. Thank you so much for all the podcasts this season and seasons to come. Even by Chelsea standards, it's been pure anarchy, one has to say. Here's to hoping for a better 2019-2020. I might be a, t- a tad too late for this note as you guys get a lot of emails. Love the show. Cheers, Moniaki. Well, you you were not. It got under the wire uh, and uh, it's great to hear from you. Moniaki Mon or Mon Yaks, as he calls himself on Twitter. We talked to him on Twitter quite a lot, and he's a top lad. So I hope you've managed to get some enjoyment out of the season and certainly hope you've managed to get some enjoyment out of the shows that we've done this year. We've done more shows this year, by the way, than we've ever done before. It's been stellar. Uh, and by the way, uh, Dean Mears says, Don't take it personally, JK. We love your passion. That's <laughs> quite right. So do I. Thank you. So do I. But you you. Know, do you know the point, Gene, Dean, the point I always make to Jonathan, Jonathan will back me up on this, is that whenever I rudely shut him up, uh, I do always say to Morfair, I say, Jonathan, you know, you people like hearing what you have to say, but they can't hear it if you're talking at the same time somebody else is. And that's what actually frustrates me sometimes, because I know that these guys have got such great things to say, but that you can't hear them when they're, talking at the same time because it just cancels everything out particularly on here because of the way the technology works so there you go jk isn't that true yeah absolutely Chich. yeah there we go it's, it's difficult all right so it's difficult sorry go on mate it's, on. it's it, we should be more
2: circumspect when we've got um, microphones in front of us and we're the presenter but it's difficult on uh um skype as well because we can't see Very each other's odd. faces but we're trying to find yeah. a space to get in particularly we've got a got a, a, a something to say you know i I yeah. find a quip or a joke i can't get it in and then the moment goes yeah. and i'm then terribly yeah. frustrated but that's that's yeah. what you have to learn from doing the program this way
0: indeed i think we do it well i think because yeah. we worked for so long whether we were all sitting in a room with each other it's it's kind of come to us quite naturally but it is harder when you can't see everybody so we we do you know interrupt a little bit right thank you for all of the emails this week we love getting emails from you and we'll always do our best to read them out so if you want send to email us send it to at chelsea fancast uh, at gmail.com not not at Chelsea Fancast, the Twitter one. What am I talking about? ChelseaFancast at gmail.com and try to get it to us by Monday morning at the absolute latest if you possibly can. Anyway, right, that is all we've got time for tonight. We'll be back next Monday, May the 20th, and I will be joined by Jonathan and Clayton Beerman. Uh, we'll be tying up the loose ends of the season and looking ahead to the Europa League final against Arsenal. Uh, which will be in a little over a week's time. Now, beyond that, this is a you need to know this is get, get get these dates in your diary. Beyond that, we plan to do a special Europa League final preview on Tuesday the 28th, because of course Monday is the bank holiday, and we'll be reviewing both the final and the season as a whole on Monday the 3rd of June. Now, that will be it for Monday night Chelsea fancasts until next season, or the live ones anyway. Uh, We will, however, be putting up some special podcasts of some of our classic shows and interviews with special guests and anything that I can dig out of the archives, really, that might keep you entertained over the summer. Uh, The good news, however, is that we'll be continuing the Friday Night Love Sport shows over the summer, so you'll still get a weekly edition of the Chelsea Fancast on a Friday. So there you go. Now, don't forget uh, to do exactly that. Tune into the Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio between 7 o'clock and 9 p.m. this Friday and join me, uh, Jonathan and hopefully Ollie Harbord from Football London and uh, Johnny Burrow, of course, as we look back on the season and ahead to the Europa Cup final against Arsenal. Now, phone in and join in the show and debate with us live. The number to call is 0208 70 558. And Love Sport, of course, is uh, a London radio station and it's broadcast on 558 a.m and on all, well, it's on the digital, you know, the DAB channel, so just find it in there. Of course, you can also listen to it through Radio Player, TuneIn, or LovesportRadio.com. Now, uh, the show, as all of our shows are, are available as podcasts shortly afterwards on ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, and Spotify, and other podcast distributors. And you can follow the show on Twitter at ChelseaFanCast, me at Stanford Cheers, Jonathan at Kidd marco at gate 17 marco liam at liam underscore to me and of course check out the website dot uh, and many thanks to the chelsea fancast bloggers for all of their great content uh, and you can follow them at cfc gwlb that's alex at nick stroudley at clithero blue at dean mears thanks for listening tonight in Mixler Dean at cfc nicholas at tosser of coin at tom got 95 at John Topia, and of course the rest of the fancasters who are on here regular like are at Dan seventy three, Clayton at goalie fifty nine, Joe at Joe Tweedy, Tony at Grocer Jack UK, Alex of course as I said earlier, and of course Ollie at OJ Harbor. That, my friends, is it for this week. We'll be back on Friday, as I said, and a few more shows before the end of the season. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chills. Up the chills! It's the 90th minute. All your mates are around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.